Thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio. Are you ready for a three-hour tour? No, you are not. And if you were born after 1985, there's a good chance you don't even understand that reference. But here it is, a three-hour tour into the mind of Paul Carter. Learn what pancakes have to do with dating, why he almost never deadlifts, and what his beef is with steak. In this episode, you'll learn something about John, something about Paul, and if you're lucky, a little something about yourself, too. And if you plan on doing some lift run bang while you tune in, might I suggest that you hop on over to powerathletehq.com backslash training and empower your performance with a program that is designed to meet your specific goals. Without further ado, here it is, episode 461. Yeah, right. yeah. my bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just want to be accurate. Yeah. I really think there was a lot of lessons in Roadhouse that would apply to the real world if people would just embrace it. Okay, like, let's go. Be nice. Be nice. Right. Don't, don't take it. Per- don't yeah, take it. Personally. Don't take it personally. Somebody called my mother a whore, is and I'm going to take that personally. And he's like, is she? He's like, is she? Yeah. Uh, and then he. How do we know when not to be nice, John? Until it's not Until to be it's nice. Not sad, when will I know? I'll let you know. Like it's fucking. It's it's lessons for it's, life. It's, it's it really is. It's like this. It's a dinosaur uh, philosophy that really works, right? Yeah. It really is. It's dinosaur philosophy that works. And I and I pick up on that in a lot of um, older movies like that that aren't that don't have like any type of because every movie these days or it seems like most movies these days have like a type of political overtone to them in in some way, shape, or form. Back then, you just made movies to have a good fucking time. Yeah. So, but then you end up with those little nuggets like that, right? Mm-hmm. And and Roadhouse is still a terrible. It's a shitty fucking movie. It's a terrible movie. Like you know, what uh, I'm, I don't know. Hold on, hold on. All right. You guys made feeling, that uh, the There's was good an shitty rock star. There's I'm being nice. good shitty movies. There's oh. good shitty movies. It's a good shitty movie. There's shitty shitty movies, and there's good shitty movies. Like for example, There Will Be Blood is a shitty movie. It's a shitty shitty. Uh, movie. you mean with uh, Daniel Day Lewis? Daniel Day Lewis, terrible fucking movie. Like yeah. I wanted to punch myself in the dick for the three straight uh, hours but for 27 it, minutes there's no word said you watched it because uh gangs of new york was so good it, it's a massive fucking let now yeah i, I know <laughs> like, i, I didn't win best pictures i haven't seen uh, it. no i it I was so artsy, artsy yeah it was real over the top but i felt like the whole time i'm like but gangs of new york was so fucking amazing yeah gangs of new york was absolutely was like one of leonardo's and daniel's yep. daniel day lewis's best that best movies it's hard to go wrong with a daniel day lewis movie too because he's yep. a method actor he does such a great like uh last of the mohicans is still one Incredible. of my most all-time favorite movies i watched that a couple of months ago um with naomi and that's what i was getting back to is um age kind of changes your perception about things because i remember trying to watch it with her when she was younger you know, like maybe like seven or eight years old and she like fall asleep and bored and she's like sure. 14, almost 15 now. And she watches, and she's like, damn, the movie's amazing, right? Like yeah. she can actually appreciate some of the things that are that are going on. Like the, the ending scene where they show up and they just start going to work on those dudes to go save their yeah. women. Like, yeah. she, like those scenes are still so beyond that. Yeah. But we don't make movies like that anymore either, yeah. right? So so the weapons that he uses, I don't know if you remember, like the old dude has that like crazy ass. Like, it's called ass. a, I looked it up. It's called a... Um, Fuck, I can't believe I can't remember. I literally looked it up one night. It's literally shaped like that. I can't remember. So there's a dude in Texas. Uh, I think it's like uh, my one of his knives. It's like John. Uh, he gets the knee like Everson. And he actually remade all those weapons. Like the, you know, the one that like the wooden ball with the, you know, deal that has a spike. 
and like that piece and, and I follow him on Instagram and like it's it's straight up like when the end of the world comes I want those weapons because I'm going to go last the Mohicans like the bitching part is when he totally like throws it I mean just the precision those dudes are in that movie is incredible yeah and did you know like uh, Daniel Lewis he spent three months living in the woods for that role I yeah, believe he's, it. he's a legit crazy person. He's a he's a method. He's a legit. No, method. he's a legit like Christian, crazy Christian Bale is you know did the same thing. And actually, the guy that no doesn't really get enough credit for that kind of stuff is also uh, Tom Cruise, who does the same thing. <sighs> we love Tom Cruise. I do too. And everybody hates Tom Cruise. He's uh, one of my favorites. I, I don't know how you can hate Tom Cruise, dude. He's so well, fucking, here's here's the Scientology thing. I don't well, yeah, yeah. They, I'm watching they, his well, movies. I don't care. So, about his. so uh, in uh, um, it was a Christian Bale. <laughs> Uh, when he was prepping for American Psycho, he was like watching TV and he saw Tom Cruise on a like a, on a talk show, and he's like, the insane laughter with the hollowness behind his eyes was the entire motivation for Christian Bale's character in uh, American Psycho. <laughs> and ever since then, I've never looked at Tom Cruise the same way, but I like him. I'm yeah, it, people don't like him because they're like, oh, personal life and all that, and I'm like, no, but he can still. He knows how to tell a good story. Yeah. It's like Mel Gibson. Sure. Yeah. All right. Off screen troubles. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. Show up. Put on a good show, sir. And, and then uh, uh, he like freaked out at those people. I don't know if you saw the recording where he was screaming at the people on set. So there was a big deal where like they're filming a movie and uh, the, the new Mission Impossible. Yeah. And he fucking stopped it and basically lambasted all the crew because nobody was wearing masks. They weren't social distancing. And he's like, we're fucking creating jobs and screaming at these people. And of course, these douchebags are like filming him and then trying to like shame him on social media. I'm like listening to it and I'm like, good. Fuck those people. Like, they shut the movie industry down. They haven't made any movies. And like, this is the contract that they need to make movies. Fucking adhere to it, dude. It's right. your job. Like, I, you know, I mean, however I feel about mass and social distancing and all that, like, fuck that. Do your job. And this is what's required to do your job. And the crazy part is he was the producer and he's financing the movie. Right. And the even crazier part, that was not in Hollywood. He bought a giant yacht. So all the, the production, the, the thing that's not filming, where he did yell at these guys, it was on a secluded yacht that yeah. he put everybody on there, tested, and they have a little island to get this movie done. Yeah. So he's, I like that kind of passion put into the movie. Me maybe. too. He, uh, well, what my, my most favorite Dedicated movie him is actually Collateral. Yes, and oh, collateral. We just talked about that. Yeah. And so the cool thing, because I, anytime I really love a movie like that, I like to go find out stuff about it. He actually delivered packages for FedEx for three months in preparation for that movie and said what he wanted to do. Well, he did. And he, he said what he wanted to be able to do was to go into airports and go into you know various places and, and drop off packages and never be recognized because he felt like Vincent, who was his character, had would have the ability to just blend in like uh, without wearing you know a disguise. Like he could just blend in and have kind of a non-descript look. Well, he was wearing a gray suit and had like he had gray, gray hair. hair. Yeah, and he had he would have had a very non descript look, right? Yeah. Now the other thing, wait, hold on. The other cool thing about that. So his preparation for his role, he worked with this British SAS guys, you know, the uh, special air service guy. They're they're special ops guys. The uh, the guy said that Tom Cruise could you know like pull his firearm draw and. Like the speed at which he could do everything with a firearm, he said, was faster than any of the special forces guys he's ever worked with in thirty years. Wow! So like, that Scientology stuff, there's something dude, to well, for. No, it gives you he, some special ability. Dude, he was in all the right moves. So he was a, a you know football player. Yeah. I mean, think about risky business. I mean, he learned to shoot pool in the color of money. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, Top Gun, and then for the latest Top Gun, he actually flew the plane. 
Mission Dude, he went through the fucking deal and he's like, I'm not doing it unless I get to fly the fucking plane because I want the shots. So he's like, uh, was it F 15 qualified to fucking fly a jet? Yeah. That's uh, like, like his level, like, uh, his, like his level of uh, life, just of life, life man. but just like going deep. Right. I, I there's all those the stunts. There's a, for the most part, yeah. like there's like 99 percent of his, yeah. his own stunts. The the previous Mission Impossible Rogue, not Rogue Nation Fallout, they have this this mask that shows the full face, and so he did all the jump training, and then the mask that was created in order for it to actually be real and go through those altitudes was created for that eight second scene. Right. So he personally went through the training. And then threw a bunch of money at these jumpers to create a specific helmet at that altitude that showed his full face. So you knew it was him doing the jump. So they created something, new technology. He went through the training for eight seconds. (laughs) Dude, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, like the motorcycle stunts and all that shit. I mean, dude, just looking. I mean, think about like... Uh, he did, uh, what was it, Far and Away, the one where he was from Ireland. You remember with, yep. with uh, Nicole Kidman, I mean, riding horses. He was a fighter. He was I mean, a fighter in it, yeah. Yeah, and he was like a bare-knuckle boxer. I mean, the dude is like, his catalog of movies, if you ever go do through his IMDb and go through and look at the movies. I do that daily, yeah. You're like, holy shit, this dude has been a part of just about every great movie there ever is. Yeah. I mean, dude, the single best thing for recruiting. Except Vision Quest that he wanted because he was actually a wrestler. Yeah. the... The the I believe it was the author of the story yeah. said he wasn't right and went Modine. Yeah. And so, yeah. so Modine beat him out and then Tom Cruise has pretty much beat Modine on everything ever since. Well, right. didn't Modine turn down Top Gun? Yes. So he had the opportunity to Doesn't, be in It sounds like Matthew did make some good career decisions. Well, he's, <laughs> um, he's uh, uh, like, so he turned down Top Gun because he felt that it glorified war. And then he did Full Metal oh, Jacket. Sorry, he did Full Metal Jacket. Which wasn't did not glorify war. It did not, but it's still used like as a marine recruiting tool. Yeah, but uh, but it, it it was it like like Top Gun, you know the um, like like uh, there was a lot of it's Top Gun propaganda, pop, pop, popcorn, yeah. popcorn action. He, I mean, uh, right. the fact that he got to, I mean, who was it? It was um, Oliver Stone. Yeah. No, no, it was not Oliver Stone. It was some um, of Full Metal Jacket. Yeah, Full Metal Jacket was. Um, well, Oliver Stone was born on the fourth of Jamie, July. Jamie, pull that up. Um, yeah. <laughs> Full Metal Jacket is, uh, it's not sort of says he. Uh, Kubrick. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, Stan, yeah. Stanley Kubrick. Okay. So, how, wow, how, wow. How did I miss that? <laughs> uh, so, so it was uh, like, because he even talked about the fact that he had the opportunity and, and they weren't going to go in and glorify war like they were going to in Top Gun and it was going to be this, you know, born to kill and the whole deal. And I mean, duality of man, sir. <laughs> yeah. What what the fuck are you talking about? I will take a huge shit on you. And he goes through the whole thing. It's been great. But what's so crazy is, it's good. Like I, I love the original Top Gun, but Full Metal Jacket like holds its own place on the altar. Like that is one of the like most favorite movies. I, I quote it. You almost have to compartmentalize it because there's not really another movie you can compare it to. So uh, all the time, like whenever I talk to Turley on the phone, like Tur- Turley would be like. Uh, his joke was always when we were playing football, like uh, like Jolly Green fucking Giants walking the earth. You remember that when he's yeah. like, you know sitting around with those guys, animal, you know, he's talking about it. Like so that just that line alone was like Jolly Green Giants walking the fucking earth, like that so impactful. And just the uh, uh, the whole scene, remember with the girl where he's like, this is a prime Alabama or Alabama black snake, and he goes yeah. through that whole thing. <laughs> he's like, it ain't too damn buku. All those jokes, like. Oh, they're yeah. the best. 
And it was. That's it, another one. Like it's it's uh, just be, just something something about the energy and the way that the whole thing um, is done. Though, so it's a very it still has a very weird feel to it. I don't know. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, it's unique. It's I mean, me, the right? first hour is when they're at the they're on Paris Island. They're, they're the on Paris camp, Island, yeah. right? Boot camp and. Um, and like you think that's going to be the feel of the movie, and then it ends up taking on like the completely different approach about when he gets deployed, right? Like so, it's it's just such a weird feel. And then by the end, the energy of when the sniper chick is off in the building, oh, like man. everything with that, like it's so it, it's a very <laughs> weird movie to watch. I mean, still it's, a, it's amazing. Back to the, wow. the Tom Cruise, the other Tom Cruise when they hit me. This my other favorite to close second to Collateral was the first. Um, what was the one where? Um, Oh, he was he was like the former army. It was based off the books. Uh, oh, um, uh, Jack Reacher. <laughs> yeah. Jack yeah. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> the first Jack Reacher movie. Yeah. And people were all pissed off about that because in the books, Jack Reacher was like six four, yeah, like two hundred and fifty, two hundred sixty pounds, and it was like super jacked. And they picked like Tom Cruise, who's like three feet tall. But he still he pulled it off, right? Oh yeah, like I'm the sure. park the parking lot scene where he goes out fucking dude. Here's the thing about this is, is, is I'll always think about. I mean, we had this conversation I think before, and um, when I went out to um, keep me back on point with that parking lot scene, because I'll, I'll get back to what I'm talking about here. Um, there's that there's that thing about confidence in a man, and that owning a room has almost nothing to do with your physical stature, right? It really is about your energy and the way you connect with people. And when I went to John Eldridge's Wild at Heart camp, I remember he's like the littlest guy, right? And yeah. there's there's like 500 men there, and we're all just books. connected. One of my favorite books. Yeah, exactly. And but he is that he has that presence, right? Like when he he steps in and connects with you, you just you like certain people have that presence where you're like I I respect this man, right? Like he follows me, like his energy. He's like he's like five foot seven, maybe literally like 140 pounds, but just has a commanding presence. And so getting back to like the, that parking lot scene there is like, it's that Tom Cruise's presence in those, he can command himself in a way energy wise in those scenes where you forget the fact that, you know, he's, he's literally like five foot six or five foot seven or whatever, because, you know, when they go out to the parking lot, like there, there's that one line where he looks at the guy and he goes, remember you wanted this. Yeah. And like, I fucking <laughs> love, just love that. Cause, cause the uh, guy goes to make them make a move. Like he's going to like punch him. Yeah. And he goes, remember you wanted this, right? Like that is such a fucking badass line just in that moment. Cause it's five guys. Yeah. Right? yeah. yeah no, he, I mean, uh, the other one, which I think, uh, my wife personally hates cause I, I really like it is a night and day. The one what? with uh, uh, Cameron Diaz where they, he like plays like the, uh, kind of the wacky, uh, agent. It, it's, it's a stupid I don't know movie. That I've ever even fucking heard of. Uh, it's you didn't miss much, but <laughs> for some reason, um, on like uh, Directv somewhere in like the two forties, like it'll constantly be on. Like at least once a like once a week, it'll be on. I'm like, oh, night and day. My wife at this point is like, oh Jesus. Like she'll just like, she'll just get up and leave, and I'll be like, oh, that's no, watch what I want to watch. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like that. Like you, you ever saw that one with a uh, camera Diaz? Uh, I must have on a plane traveling, but like I never. I won't sit on and waste airtime talking about it, but ah, yeah, so I got because there was a string of two thousands like Mister and Mrs. Smith, Night and Day. Yeah, it was like boy girl action. Well, they were trying to do like the buddy cop, but love interest buddy cop. No, they they're trying to steal and rip off the True Lies, the second half, the second act of True Lies when Jimmy Lee Curtis and and Arnold Arnold team up to 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 solve the you know save the world. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
cool. It's been done. James Cameron, awesome. Next. Like, look, that's my look opinion. Look how mad you are. You're so mad about it. <laughs> that, like, it can only be done once. Like, literally, think about how many, very passionate think about how many times they've done the Buddy Cop movie and they just keep doing the Buddy Cop movie. And people keep, well, that's keep different. watching it. <laughs> no, no, no. So what's the original Buddy Cop movie? Like, in my Ooh. opinion, I know what it is. 48 Hours? No. Red Heat? No. <laughs> no. The original Buddy Cop movie. To me, like, there's one that kind of separates from all the rest. Uh, 40, uh, I thought it's got to be 48 Hours. No, it was, in 48 Hours, Eddie Murphy was a criminal and Nick Nolte was the fucking cop. Yeah. That's not the that's the Buddy Cop. I consider that the same. Okay. To me, it's got to be Lethal Weapon. I think these movies were before Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon was late 80s. Either way. I mean, no, uh, they me, did it, right? 48 Hours is not the same. Uh, but it's kind of a buddy cop. Like, you, like, they get him out. Like, I mean, it's the same... Uh, it's the same... I got a fool with a banana on the tailpipe. That, that's, that's Beverly Hills Cop. That is. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's the same formula where you get the yeah. wild card and you well, pair him up with the straight-laced, yes, that's, the Startsky uh, and Hutch. Uh, but then you can't, Hutch. you can't beat that fucking final fight scene at the end of Lethal Weapon between Gary Busey and Mel Gibson. It's like a... What's the... Uh, God, what's the movie... Um, Oh god, it's gonna, I'm gonna totally forget it. Uh, 48 hours, 82. Lethal oh, yeah, weapon, 87. Okay, so yeah. let's just say 87. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, I knew that was like I, I knew. Uh, oh, 48 I, hours is that old? That's crazy. Yeah. And man. then you have uh, Red Heat, where they tried to rekindle the same Belushi and Arnold, same writer as yeah. And then Kindergarten Cop. Remember that one? Kindergarten cop was he in was there. He was just paired uh, up with the, with the chick. Yeah, twins. I mean, same thing. Kind of like a buddy movie. So even though they're it's not a, cops. It's, a contra- it's, the, it's the whole, let's pair up these contrasted interviews yeah. of personalities. Right? Yeah. Okay, well, Wikipedia has a whole buddy cop film page. <laughs> As they should. <laughs> okay. The first one that this Wikipedia page gives credit to, and none of us have seen this, is a 1949 Japanese film called Stray Dog. Oh, dude, that's a super famous movie. Is it? Yeah. Damn. Yeah. I'm way up. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's a that's a famous movie. Then we had 1967 American film In the Heat of the Night. Yeah, and okay. okay. And that's right. 74's Freebie and the Bean. Never saw that. The genre was later popularized by 1982's 48 hours. There you go. And so that's that's a that's a decade yeah. jump for that's, Buddy Cotton. It was okay. then the next line. Genre further popularized by the 87 film Lethal Weapon. Yeah. That's the one I always think of. too old for this shit. Yeah. That's the one I always think of the most. Then Lethal Weapon's creator just freaking poured gasoline on it because he then did The Last Boy Scout, Last Action Hero, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and The Nice Guys starring Russell Crowe and... uh, It's it's pretty good. uh, Gosling, Ryan Gosling. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty good. Man, one, one of my favorite lines of any movie, and it's not really the buddy cop movie, but it's more like uh, that is um, uh, Knock Around Guys. Remember the... Oh, with Vin Diesel. With Vin Diesel uh, with the 500 fights. Yep. And I he, think that's actually one of the best fucking scenes. Dude, 500. What? what? He's, he's, he's like, what the fuck are you talking you about? And he spits on his shoe, and he's like, 500 fights. That's how many I figured to be considering yeah. yourself a tough guy. Well, he actually, actually, it's even better because he starts out, he says 500. Yeah. He just says five. He says 500. And he goes, 500 what, douchebag? He's like, 500 <laughs> fights. That's what I figured I'd need to be considered a tough, tough guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, like, it's like, it's, it's the, that's really the only really great part of that movie. Though. 
yeah. Uh, and then the mob just tries to kill everybody. Twenty-one percent on Rotten Tomatoes. What knock around guys? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but that twenty-one percent is specifically because of just that it, it would be a, like a five percent if you had removed uh, that like, one scene. I, I will never classify that as a good movie. No, but that fucking that scene. scene. That scene. Yep. Yeah, and that's back when Vin Diesel was in pretty good shape, so he could pull that kind of role off yeah. a little bit. He, dude, he was super fit in that uh, uh, in the first Fast and Furious. Uh, I, like, if you want to go back and actually when see now we're going to talk more about like Jack guys in movies. Um, that'll that'll that's the, the Pitch Black. Oh, that's our audience. Pitch Black. Yeah. He the first time I saw Pitch Black, he was legit Jack. He yeah. looked fucking great. Right, he was yeah. super and super good. He was lean. Yeah. That was pro- that was easily the best he ever looked from yeah. uh, being like in a, in, in fit shape. He didn't have that weird double chin thing going on that he always has. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what that is. But we were talking. How we ended up here, literally sitting Not here, real, guys. was uh, was we were talking about um, um, Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, yeah, and how he's like, he, you know, when he got selected to play Thor, like the big knock on him at the time was um, he wasn't going to be big enough for the role. Right, that was the big thing, and he actually showed up and he had to lose weight for the role because he got too big for the original original um, costume. The costume, so he had to end up like losing weight. So, and it, you know, like there's always the speculation, of course, by every guy. If you, if you have any amount of muscle or leanness on the internet, then of course you're all yeah, you're got to be able to, well. The only thing that guys always consistently accuse you of is being on trend. So it's got to be you got to be trend. Oh, I thought it was protein. What I thought it was protein. Protein and trend. Oh, okay. so as long as you just take your protein and trend it up, you know you're going to be fucking jacked. Mm-hmm. But it was the the first Thor. Uh, what we were talking about was that it's pretty cool how he um, he basically became or has become um, you know like what I almost call like a kind of a mini rock. You know because he's um, a lot of people don't get how fucking big he is. So he's, he's six, six four. Yeah. So it's he's thirty seven right now. Yeah. And uh, yeah. With, uh, six, 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 how, how tall is he? He's 6'4", six, he's a legit 6'4", 6'5". Six, oh, you, no, 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, six, yeah, yeah so he's, he's, he's right in there. Because if you watch the Guardians, not the Guardians of the Galaxy, but we went the people from the Guardians of the Galaxy, Dave Bautista is standing next to him. He he looks fucking bigger than Dave Bautista in that scene. Say what? I'm finding out how big Bautista How tall is, is Dave Bautista? 6'6". Yeah. He's so he's standing next to Dave Bautista, and he's that, he looked every bit as big as Dave Bautista. Yeah. So, I mean, and who knows Chris kind of Pratt there is... The point is, he's going to be right in there it's, at the 6'4", 6'5", range, and, um, you know, like, he's in really good shape. But I saw they had the uh, the pictures um, of him getting ready for the Hulk Hogan. If you if you actually go to his Instagram... I'll so they're doing a movie with Hulk Hogan? Yeah, and apparently he's playing Hulk Hogan, right? Oh, I can't wait to hear him screaming. It's gonna be great, oh, brother. <laughs> hey, brother. <laughs> I mean, static. Oh, from from that. Yeah. Um, um, so like, what I was saying is cool is. Um, um, hey, brother! Give me a kiss, brother. <laughs> What's well, his brother? It's at, like after the Thor movies, like he never did that. For the most part, he never did that whole shrink thing again. Like a lot of actors would get oh, Jack for a uh, no. He was in. Um, he he did the way home. I know he did the race car movie. Yeah, um, and he lost a bunch of weight, but then he immediately put all his muscle all back yeah, on. Training protein. Yeah, so, training protein. So, but that's pretty been pretty cool about him because then he did the other movie for Netflix. Like, I don't know if you saw guys like Extraction. That was yeah. fucking amazing. Like they, dude, that was so. Dude, I was like, dude, how can this not be a franchise? Dude, the the gunfight scene on the bridge. Yeah, uh, but I did uh, the one that I really dug was he really did the deal where they jumped off 
I remember where, where he like jumped off the cliff into the water and then sat there. He did him. that. Yeah, so they said he could legitimately hold his breath for like a couple minutes. That's yeah, that's pretty fucking cool. So this is the scene. Uh, so that's what I'm saying. He's better looking. He's like he's not as grizzly as the Hulk. But you right, think he shaved his head? Like the well, I don't know. I mean, the do rags. So, but what I'm, I guess my point is, like, getting to that, like, like he's legitimately can, can, fucking jacked, right? Can like, you legitimately see? Hulk, I mean, so um, Brian Shields, who I played with at Cal, his dad, Billy Shields, uh, was an offensive lineman for the San Diego Chargers, and uh, I remember, I can't remember if it was Brian or his dad told us, or maybe Brian was retelling us his dad story, but his dad, you know, offensive line, you know, played for the Chargers, like big dude. Uh, said that Hulk Hogan was the first dude he'd legitimately ever seen that was around 300 pounds in shape. Yeah. Before that, he'd never seen a dude. He was like, he had legitimate 20-inch arms. He was the biggest fucking dude he'd ever seen at 300 pounds. Like, a white dude. Yeah, I mean, like, back in his prime. Yeah. He was a big fucking dude. Like, I think he was, like, he, like Hulk, the Hulkster was probably, well, like, a legitimate 6'5". Yeah, he's 6'5", he's, 6'6". Uh, yeah, six, six, six. Did I tell you my Hulk Hogan story? No. So, I lived in Tampa. Uh, and I bought a house over in Clearwater Beach, and so, like, Safety Harbor area, and so I had to drive on the causeway, and it's pretty long. Like, I don't know what's a causeway, like, 10, 12 miles. Yeah. So it's, like, it's pretty good, like, you know, and you just blast across, and so I have this badass twin-turbo Porsche, and uh, one day I'm fucking just kind of cruising, talking on, like, talking on the phone, and this fucking dude is on my ass in a, in a Viper, and I'm like, this is douchebag in a Viper. And fucking all of a sudden, like this car goes by, he fucking shoots over and it's fucking Hulk Hogan driving a red Viper. And I'm like, <laughs> and he's fucking like giving me the mean look. And so, uh, uh, he fucking gives me the nod and I fucking upshift and that, that Porsche was so fucking fast and fucking was able to walk that thing down. And so it was like my great story of Hulk Hogan and so I'm talking to. Uh, oh, uh, so you, you end up walking the Viper? Oh yeah, yeah, dude. Okay. My, yeah, I, I, like my my uh, twin turbo Porsche was all tech guarded up, yeah. so it wasn't just like 500 horsepower. I think it was like 750 horsepower, right. four wheel drive. Like just walked that fucking Viper <laughs> and uh, blew past him. And so uh, uh, Big Mark, uh, the Undertaker, uh, his uh, he lives in uh, in like right, right near us in Bee Cave, and his daughter rides horses with my little girls. So I see him all the time over at the barn. And we were just shooting the shit. And I was like, did I ever tell you my whole COVID story? And he was like, let me tell you my Terry. Or his name's Terry, right? He's like, let me tell you a bunch of stories about Terry. So I told him that story. And he just looked at me. And he's like, sounds about right. Did you fucking smoke him? He's like, yeah. He's like, he's probably still fucking mad about that shit. <laughs> but yeah, it was a funny story. He's like, he's like, and this was like Hulk Hogan, NWO, where he had like the black beard. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, like, to this day, I, I was like, I looked over and I was like, no, nobody's ever like, and like an idiot, like there's no, like at the time I didn't have a cell phone camera or if I did, like we never thought about it because where were we going to post it? Right. But I like, now I would have been like, fuck, I'm racing. <laughs> and then he, uh, he, he got into a big scandal where he was banging Bubba the Love Sponge, who was like the local DJ or radio personality in Tampa. That was the whole thing where he was banging his wife. And they got into that weird sex scandal, and there was a whole sex video and all oh, that I shit. I remember this. Oh, yeah. Hulk was in, like, a big sex... Like, a little bit. Okay. I think he, he sued somebody and won, like, a defamation well, yeah, or because something. because they released oh, wait, it. kind of do. Because they actually, oh, went, to, yeah. they actually yeah. went to court, didn't but they? That, but that was his buddy's wife, Bubba the Love Sponge. And then he was in, like, a big, like, deal. And so, yeah. I, Hulk Hogan, sex tape. I mean, look what it did for Kim Kardashian. Yeah. And I was thinking about the the wife though because she she's she's banging one dude named Bubba and then cheating on Bubba with a dude named Hulk. So Bubba the Love Sponge was like five hundred pounds, like orca fat, 
Okay. And uh, he like lost weight. And it was like a, like a, you got to look this thing up. Bubba the Love Sponge was like a, he was like a shock jock in down in Tampa. Like he was would have been like you know trying to do what Howard Stern did in New York, but down in like in Florida. Oh yeah, he's a big boy. Yeah. I don't. I don't feel like I remember. I, yep, that's kinda, Bubba the Love Sponge. I kind of remember him. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I kind of do. But yeah, I mean, he was pretty popular. He was pretty popular down yeah. in the Tampa area. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was in Florida. And then Terry lives down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He lives in Clearwater Beach. Or oh, there yeah. it is, right there. On the first, the first yeah. to come up is yeah. uh, is Terry and uh, yeah, and they were buddies. And then I think like I don't know how it all went down, but they ended up with a sex tape with uh, with Hulk Hogan slaying. Mm. Yeah. Didn't he have like a TV show? Wasn't it like Hogan's Hogan Knows Best? With his yeah, with yeah, his that's kids. it. With the whole family, right? Yeah, yeah, with his daughter yeah. and then his son who was like four ten. Which I always was like, God damn it! Can you imagine how sad you'd be if like your dad's six six old Hogan and the kid's like five feet something? And yeah, that happens. The uh, there was a golden age of reality TV, and then I just fell off. I fell off before like the Ozzy Osbourne show. Didn't watch that. It was good. So uh, we did not own a TV in college. It's so, good move. Uh, yeah, we, we just didn't have one. Mm-hmm. Like uh, like no, nobody was going to play the cat uh, or like the cable bill, so we just didn't have a TV, and so. I didn't watch TV for like five years. And then when I got to the NFL, um, I ended up, well, when I hurt my score, when I tore up to a tendon, I bought a TV. But then when I moved out to a house, I didn't buy a TV because I was healthy. I'm like, what am I going to watch TV now for? And it wasn't until like my mom came to visit me at Christmas that she was like, you need a fucking TV in your house, you weirdo. What are you going to do? I'm like, I sit around and read. She's like, oh, Jesus. So she like took my credit card. Yeah. She's like, fucking dork. And I uh, went and bought some TVs. And then, uh, and then we got gifted... Um, playstations or or like uh, xboxes we we got uh xbox gifts and uh i ended up with halo and then we just fucking played halo all the time it was great yeah that'll that'll pull you in yeah i uh when i we was were, dude, we were deep i was halo. a computer engineer for 15 years and um you do what i was a computer engineer for 15 oh. years and um like one of my things man is i played call of duty for like five years. I literally the setup so we like I had it like I was a member of like, like a clan, everybody laughing, but you I don't know if you guys ever played Call of Duty, but like there was a group of guys I played with consistently for five years. And we were in tournaments and, and yeah, everything, dude. Um like, we were good. one of the coolest things, man, about that time, I, I must have been probably around around thirty-five, thirty-six-ish. But we all were. We were all older guys. But dude, we were fucking we were really good. And we would go and just slaughter these kids, man. We would just we, there's nothing cooler than telling like a 14 year old kid like suck my dick off, like when you're like just fucking destroying their team. You know what I mean? <laughs> and like in the lobby, we'd be in the lobby. I have so many funny stories. Wait, lobby, like you guys would like go so like okay, so well. when you're you're playing the game, right? And then you're like you're you're, you're fucking killing. And you can talk to each other. We had headsets and you know like mics and the whole thing. Like you can't really play otherwise. You need to get some really nice headsets. So that you can hear what's going, like you can hear somebody like walking in other places in the game, and like it, it helps a lot with your with your playing. You can communicate back and forth with each other, and we'd always have strategies for maps and stuff like that. So whenever uh, you kill, you know, like the other team off or whatever, you go back into the lobby where the time uh, waits to send you back into gotcha. you know, the so map again. Like so in the lobby, everybody can talk to each other. So mm-hmm. you're all talking shit to each other in that lobby. And, like, I played with this guy. His name was Timmy. He was from New York. And we played, um, his name was Bone Dust. That was his handle, like, when we played. But I literally played with him for, like, five or six years, like, consistently almost every night. And, um, like, he's even still on all my social media. Like, we still talk. But we played, there's another guy named Sam Serini. 
um, that that I played with. He was he was on our team. Another guy named Jason. They're all still on my social media. We played that long together, right? And um, we just would burn these kids down because, like, when you're older, you've had enough years talking shit, right? And these kids yeah. come in like 15 years old talking shit, like, whatever. So, like, we we would get to the point where it's just like it was one of the funnest things, probably the five or six years I ever did. One of the like some of the most fun memories because I'd come home from work like on the weekends. Um, sometimes you know it'd be like a Friday night or Saturday night, and I'd, you know, I'd stay up and watch. I was still married then. I'd stay up and watch movies with. Uh, the wife, and then you know, it'd be like 11 30 or 12, she'd be getting sleepy, and I'd head down to the basement and I'd be getting on with my boys. And um, I just there's still so many like funny stories. Like, we had, I remember this, uh, we lost, we, we rarely lost a match, rarely, rarely. We were so good, we played so long together, we were so good. We would get bored and we would do, we would go like, okay, just go all pistols this round. So, we, we would only go, we go pistols only against other teams. And still beat them, like, consistently. Or we say shotguns only, you know, so we'd go shotguns only. we still wipe out the other teams. One night, we ended up losing this match. I remember this. And this one kid was talking. He was talking a bunch of shit. And he was like, you guys are pussies. You suck. Fucking money in the bank beating you bitches and all this kind of stuff. So, we'll not play. bad, right? Like, yeah, we'll play. Right. And so, Timmy goes, we'll see, bro. We'll see. So we went to the next round. Timmy was like, well, we're going to kill these motherfuckers. So it was bad. It was like a slaughter. And we went into the lobby, and um, the dude was still talking shit. And Timmy just kept going, we'll see, bro. We'll see. And that's all he would say. And he just kept saying, we'll see, bro. We'll see. And we went to the next match, fucking slaughter, destroy him, come back out. Kid's not really so mouthy anymore. But Timmy is still going, we'll see, bro. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> So between every match, we just we're just fucking tearing these guys down. And so Timmy, like in the in the um, the lobby each time, he'll be like, "Money in the bank, we'll see, bro, we'll see." And it, he did it so long for literally like hours. He wouldn't say anything but "We'll see, bro." And we were laughing like like to the point where I couldn't we could barely play. We were laughing so hard. He would just keep saying in the lobby, "We'll see, bro." So no matter what the kid would say, Timmy go, "We'll see." We'll see. And he did that. Like, it's, it's to have, you had to have kind of really been in the moment to have like the energy of it all because they're like two fucking hours. It's like this 38 year old man, like talking shit to this it, kid. It like, just, fucking basement. And he's just saying, we'll see, bro. We'll see. Cause no I'm matter what, your fucking house. Yes. And, and, and Timmy would just say, we'll see. And it was such a great comeback. Like, I don't know why we never thought of he would just go, we'll see, bro. We'll see. And so then the kids would just kept talking smack and they get new players come in and we just fucking annihilate them. But it all just started because we lost the very first opening match. And we didn't we we lost it like, you know, pretty bad, which wasn't like us. And then the guys like, you guys fucking suck. And we're like, okay. So that was uh, we we would do tournaments, man. We ended up playing um we always ended up in the top last couple of teams. Like, you know, like it, it was just like, man, we take it hard if we lose. Like, we had serious emotional investments in this fucking game. Well, esports blown yeah. up. Like, yeah. Kids are getting scholarships. Yeah. And yeah, it's. And what was up. happening then at the time, you know, this was before, it's like they were they were having big tournaments, like where people yeah. show up. And we actually talked about going to some of those. I One year, I uh, they did, uh, when Forza came out, the racing game, uh, the Forza Racing King came out and Xbox did a tournament. For a car, it was a Nissan Sentra, and whoever won the Forza tournament um, win that car. And I ended up there was more than I think it was more than a hundred thousand people that, that registered, and I was oh. one of them. And I ended up in the top eight. So I was pretty. And you can good. just do that from the comfort of your own home. Yeah, 
Yeah. I was, I, dude, it was one, the opening track was the only one they would tell you, and I remember this, for fucking a month, a month, every night for hours, I would go home, and you had to race the Nissan Sentra through all the races, because that was the part you were winning, and I would run this track for fucking hours, man, for fucking hours, just run this track where I could just, I could nail it, but then when you're racing against people, everything changes because you can't run it the same way. So you've built in this, literally these motor skills, right? Mm-hmm. To run a pattern with your, you know, the hand-eye coordination. But then as soon as there's other tracks on there, it changes because you can't keep running it the same way. So it really, I don't know if it even fucking helped that much. You'd have to run it with other people racing. Yeah. Cause you're just running it by yourself. You tune your car, run it as fast as you can, but there's nobody else on the fucking track. So then the first track we raced, I was like, Oh shit, there's other people on the track. But I mean, I still, I, I won. I was like, we went on for weeks. For weeks, I think for five weeks, I had to play like every night. I ended up popping in the last, there was, I think, two brackets. I can't remember. I was in the top eight in the world in that turn. Wow. So I was pretty good at fucking video games. Um, I was a, I was not very good. We were, uh, I remember when um, we got the uh, uh, the Halo, and like we were all like playing, thought it was great, and then like you could plug into the internet yep. and start playing against people. And you're like, like wow, in, we fucking dude, suck. Dude, like, like, all of a sudden you materialize a shot in the face. You're like, what the fuck? Like, some, you know, some kid just, uh, so, you know, I'm like, let's unplug this from the internet and just have fun with us. So, yeah. my, uh, so Naomi, you know, my 14-year-old, she got into Call of Duty this past uh-huh. year. She didn't know about that. She didn't know my history with it. Oh, so <laughs> you're like, oh, wait, so she, she's over one night. She's like, dad, she's like, I've been playing Call of Duty. I'm like, oh, really? And she's like, she's like, let's, let's play. I'm like, okay. So I put it in, we we're going to play in co-op. And I'm just fucking wrecking shit. Like, it doesn't go away, right? And she's like, oh, dad. And so, like, literally. You're like, I've never played before. Yeah, it's it's, there's before. so many. She's like, I'm, I'm like, I'm pretty good, right? And she's like, yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're pretty good. Yeah, you're real good. We'll see. So, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see, bro. <laughs> I actually ended up telling her the whole story. She didn't know that. She thought that was, like, so cool. So she's like, well, that explains a lot. But like, we play like one. She's like, that one explains night. why I didn't see you at night. You were yeah. like, I was down in the basement. Dude, I would be so jacked up. The other game that was big at the time when you used to play was Gears of War. Yeah, I and remember that. I yeah. missed all this shit. Gears of War. So Gears of War was so dude, you could chainsaw motherfuckers in half. Like if you got close to them, and we would play Gears. Of, but I would go to bed at like three o'clock in the morning, jacked up because your 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 adrenaline's fucking literally rushing to these games. I right? cannot wait if my daughters want to get into it. I'll be like, no, okay, and then like, hey, dad, you want to play? I'm like, uh, you guys have been to school. I've been playing today. Right. Like, uh, well, don't tell. Just just get good at it, right? Just uh, I like uh, there. There's no way. Like my wife is. Uh, is so anti video game. Like, she's like, video games are the single greatest waster of time. And I'm like, I'm like, the hell with you. Technically, so is watching movies. Oh, yeah, no, I, I bought it. Yes. So, yeah. fucking so is the podcast. So is everything. <laughs> so is <laughs> fucking life. Life is just one big fucking waste of time. Just wandering around playing video games, people electronically. What's crazy is by the time you're an adult, right? Like, technically, like if you, if you do your life right, that you could fucking, I always laugh about this and make these jokes. Like, nothing can stop me from going to the store right now and eating four cakes and playing fucking video games for yeah. the next two days and not doing anything. As a kid, that's all you dream about. Yeah. You're like, man, I just want to fucking sit here and eat cake and play video games, man. <laughs> so, so when we originally started the CrossFit Football Seminar, uh, I was like traveling every weekend for this deal. And I would take Mondays off. And so uh, I, w- I owned a gym at the time. My partner who was in the gym was supposed to be running on Mondays. So I'd get up like kind of late, like 9 o'clock on a Monday, and I would go down. And um, I, was, I was living down by the beach. And um, I had gotten like a Wii, uh, like the Wii as a, as a gift. 
So I, I got really into playing Wii tennis. So I'd like get up at like nine o'clock, like my wife would leave and she would, uh, she'd go to work and I'd get up, I'd eat breakfast and I'd like fire up the Wii and play like the Wii, like the Wii tennis for easily like an hour or two. It's fun. And I was like, this is fucking great. I'm like, <laughs> I would hang out. And then I remember that, like, it it's was like, uh, like I was able to do that for like a couple weeks. And then, uh, that's basically my partner and I had a big falling out cause he was, uh, stealing. And all of a sudden he like got booted and I got thrust back in. And so like Monday morning I was like fucking at work, like teaching seminars, get home Sunday night, rated like 5am at the gym on a Monday night or on a Monday morning. And I'm like, God, why did this have to happen? I loved playing the Wii. That was like, an, and I've never played the Wii ever since, but I had about three or four weeks there where like I got up every Monday morning after the seminar and I was like playing the Wii backhand, like totally working on my tennis and like killing people on the Wii. And I loved it. Yeah, that dude, that stuff dude. is that, that stuff is so fun, man. Like, I laugh at you and your wife. Like, that's a total uh, time waster. But I ended up with so many like nights where it's just la- like you know I worked in like my work was pretty stressful. Um, what, yeah, well, because in computer give, operations, give us some backgrounds on uh, on what you were doing with the computers. So, like, like when I, was just the, I, like, I was in the military and computer operations for the intelligence. Okay, squad. so I, I was thinking you were at Best Buy, just fucking. No, I was I was a, I was a, a, a geek squad. I was a computer, yeah, geek squad. No, I was a fucking computer engineer for Unix systems. Like you, like it's like Unix, like a like a Unix, Unix, U N I X. Yeah, not I'm Unix. Like Unix. I still have my balls. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> uh, no, so I was like in computer operations for the intelligence squadron um, in the military. And then when I got out, it was before the Y two K stuff. So uh-huh. computers were fucking you know were huge um, at that time, and. Um, as far as like they were needing, they were needing Unix people, Windows people, um, database administrators. I think at the time, uh, uh, Java was really big, Java programmers and things like that. And so um, I was a Unix guy, and my the one of the, the main flavor of Unix that I worked on forever was IBM's, which is called AIX. Mm-hmm. And um, basically, I ended up uh, getting certifications and you know all that stuff, and ended up doing AIX work at a high, really high level um, for a long time. And um, so I did that. I worked, I did a variety of contract uh, jobs, which was back then was really common in the late 90s and early 2000s because um, the the computer industry was just exploding. Sure. Um, It wasn't unusual to go take a a contract job, you know, for like six months or eight months or whatever. It was also a good way to get more skills, right? To build up your skill set set and resume and stuff like that. But here's a funny story I ended up telling, I was telling uh, my kids about this, is when I got out of the military, in '97, um, my paycheck at that time was it was uh, it was like six hundred and twenty eight dollars every two weeks. That was my bring home. And I remember um, my first job, my first job out of the military when everything was exploding. They were going to pay me twenty eight dollars an hour. Now, this was in '97, so that was that's pretty good. And I remember thinking at the time because you know when you're, I was making six hundred twenty six hundred twenty eight dollars bring home every two weeks, and I was like they they're like well we're going to start you out at twenty eight dollars an hour. And I was like, fuck, that's like sat down with the calculator after we had like the interview. And I was like, fuck, that's like $1,100 a week or some shit. And I was like, they're really not going to pay me that much. Like, it's got to be like a trick here, whatever. And went into work and I was just still doing the normal shit that I was doing when I was in the military. And I remember, you know, you got paid every two weeks and it was still, I didn't, my direct deposit hadn't kicked in yet. Me and uh, my wife at the time, we had to go to the, to the mailbox. And I, I remember looking, I wouldn't even open the envelope, right? Because I was like, there's got to be a fucking trick here and open it up. And, you know, checks like $1,100 for a week of work. And I was like, this is fucking crazy. And so, like, every subsequent job after that, 
It'd be, you know, it'd go up, so it'd be like $35 an hour and 50 bucks an hour. I can't believe that they were paying computer guys by the hour. Shit, that seems like... Well, it was good then, because I'll tell you why, because there was so much overtime to be worked on in the Y2K, and then all of the contract companies were paying uh, time and a half for overtime, so it was much better than getting a salary or just on a set pay, so it wasn't unusual for me to go in and make like $2,500 in a week. So it was really cool back at that time. Like I said, you could just take a contract, you know, and do whatever you want. And there was more, there was, there was more jobs and more work that needed to be done than there was people. Sure. So during that time, you could kind of write your own check. And I figured that out after a couple of years. So I, I would work contracts for a couple of years in places. But that was what I was saying. I was working for, out here, I worked for a company called Cerner. And Cerner is medical um, is, uh, software. For hospitals. And it was a fucking sweatshop environment. Terrible. It was the worst place I ever worked. It'd be awesome if they burned at the fucking ground and some other medical software company just like took over all their shit. <laughs> the, I heard Neil Patterson, the CEO, died a couple of years ago. It's the only time in my life I can ever remember when I heard something, I fucking busted out laughing because this dude died. You know, that's not like a fucking dictator yeah, or something, yeah. but he was borderline. Um, but he was, you can go look up the Neil Patterson email where he sunk their stock years ago where basically was like slave driving people and said that we're not going to work less than 55 hours a week. I didn't know all this shit when I took the job there. So I get over there, and that was what I was getting back to the Call of Duty things. Like, I'd fucking work at a stressful job at 50-plus hours a week every week. Because here was the thing. If you had a if you had a, a downtime, which is where computer systems go down, which is their computer systems, they're going to go down sometimes. So if we, we ran something called, like, an HACMP cluster on the Unix, the AIX platforms, and what that means is, like, if these are, like, these two bottles are servers and, the, you know, Leonidas and Achilles here are servers – they're all connected via what was called this HACMP software. So if this guy went down, these guys just said, okay, you know, we got it. And so we had an outage at this hospital where the whole cluster went down because of the software. And so IBM, we had to call IBM to get it when they were down for like 30 something hours. And you got to stay awake that whole time. So you're working that whole time. And um, so this is hospital software. So that always seems like it's life or death, you know, it's people, charts needed for information, stuff like that, which I got it. So IBM comes out and they eventually look at the cluster and they're like, it has to be like, we got to create a patch for this because there's a, a software bug and we're just going to have to create the code for it. So we're literally like, they're writing the code for it. We end up having to install the patch. And then what Cerner was famous for was when something like that happened is they would just start fucking firing people just to basically be able to tell the hospital like, well, we fired these motherfuckers. It wasn't our fault. Like that just happened sometimes. So I caught the axe on that one and I'm like, I didn't do anything. The cluster went down. We, I was here for 36 fucking straight hours working with IBM to get this back up. But the whole point of like the Call of Duty thing was my disconnect and reprieve from the stress. It was like the weekends where I would get and I'd go home and I would spend you know, like four or five Duty. hours with Frack my, some noobs. With my fucking, yeah, wrecking noobs, new fish, Just like fucking all fucking splitting like, fucking heads, splitting right? noobs. <laughs> so it's like you were talking about banging, like it was like my 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 reprieve was banging weights and then on the weekends fucking, you know, checking out some movies and and then uh, and then play Call of Duty for a few hours. And, and that was, that was, those were some, like, that was the thing I looked back upon there in that time and have incredibly fond memories of for those, you know, three or four or five hours that we'd end up playing. And then I wouldn't get any sleep because I swear to God, you go to bed and you're jacked up as all fuck. Because literally, you're in front of the TV and you're wired playing these games. It's not like, you know, like you're sitting back, like watching like a movie you go to sleep on. Like, you're, you're not fucking watching it. There will be blood, right? Yeah. You're, you're like, you're jacked up because you people are trying to kill you in this game. So you're trying to kill other people and you're like chatting with your buddies and talking shit. So this is like three or four hours of that shit. So it's like being in a bar, being a bouncer at a bar till you know, two or three o'clock in the morning. And 
And then, like, I remember I would go upstairs and go to bed, lay in the bed. My heart, <laughs> I remember just like in the dark, my heart would be just fucking racing, like all the time. But it was, I had so much fun in it with that shit. And the, the thing is, like, I'll probably never ever do that again, right? Like, I'll probably never ever get on because now it's just one of those things where, like, well, I'd have to get the crew back together and we'd all have to yeah. do something. You're like, we're getting the band back we're together. We're getting the band back together. So, you know, yeah, but, but think about how good people are now. Yeah, I, I've played online since then. I'm still good. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've, I, I've played online since then. Once Naomi got into it, I was like, well, she's like, here, played online. And I'm like, yeah, I played a little bit of online. So we could go online together and I would wreck people. And she'd be like, holy shit, Ed. So yeah, it's like after a couple of, uh, after a couple of uh, rounds, you get the feel for things again. A lot of, well, it comes back to you and uh, it's like riding a bicycle. So it's, uh, but I mean, like we were, we were really fucking good. We were really fucking good. But I, I think there's a genetic component to that too. Cause um, one of the guys on our teams, his son was like, he was like, we were all good. There were six of us, but he was like better than all of us, you know? And I think he's like anything else, like hand eye coordination, all that kind of stuff. Well, just exposure to you and, yeah. and you know, Tiger Woods and his dad, you know, like golfing thing. I always like the one where they like, uh, was it like tape the putter in his hand? Uh, SNL. Yeah. <laughs> SNL did a sketch where Tracy Morgan played, uh, Tiger's dad. I forget Tiger's dad's name. Earl Wood. Yeah. I don't know. But anyway, and then Tiger was, Tim Meadows played Tiger. That's right. And they're clipping back and forth. And Tracy Morgan is like, oh, yeah, he loved his club. He would swing it all the live long day. Then they cut to Tim Meadows. He's like, yeah, my daddy glued that club to my hand. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Tim Meadows, was he the one that used to do the uh, the fucking skit where he was like, he was like the, uh, the ladies' man. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He's Ooh, a ladies' man drinks kibasi. I, I legit ripped, ripped off some last of him one time because remember they used to have people, he would read like letters he would read from people or something and he would give advice. Uh, Call, oh, I, know, yeah. I know callers, no, maybe letters. No, too. so he, uh, in the ladies' man, he was uh, like kind of like a Dr. Ruth on the radio. Yes. When he'd be like, come on, let's right. talk to the ladies' man. The ladies' man drinks kibasi. Yeah. And like he would go yeah, in and have his whole fucking deal. I fucking love that. Movie. But he did that was the skittles. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I can still remember uh like one where this chick calls in or whatever and she was like, you know, hey, I'm like four hundred pounds or whatever. And they could never do this anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, like, I know exactly what you're talking you about. You know what you're talking yeah, about, right? Okay. She's like she's four hundred pounds. He goes, Yeah, that's that's really big. Uh yeah, he's like, so what I would do is I would avoid any food type products altogether. <laughs> yeah. he's like, like, and I remember that line. The ladies' man it. does not like that for right. you. <laughs> Those were yeah. never, that's, just, that's the other one. I haven't watched Saturday Night Live in forever. Yeah, a lot do. of this stuff. It it it, so it, it jumped the shark. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I know you watched one with JJ Watt was on there. And oh, I did. Was, he was awful. It was terrible. The best skit is JJ Watt, football player for the Texans, and I guess has a big enough personality or following to be on SNL. But then on Madden video games, now they do a thing where players like you can you can mic them up and they just bring players in to be their voice for trash talk and shit. And so the skit was on SNL. JJ Watt was recording his his mic'd up takes. <laughs> And then their one liners like, I'm sorry I missed that tackle, guys. I can't believe I let you down. <laughs> and so, like, all these lines of him sucking. Right. Like, oh, I, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> so that was funny because it's true. Yeah. What? That he's. No, the Texans good. suck. That, no, I'm just kidding. No, I know. But, uh, just go, no trash talking now. Uh, no, I, 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 dude, uh, 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 I know how good or I. <laughs> I know how much Tex likes J.J. Watt, so it's become kind of a, a like, I guess, a shtick 
uh, a oh, bit, it is a shtick. A, a bit on our podcast. I'm a, a Houston Texans yeah, fan. Yes, and and by defunct a uh, or sorry by. Um, so you were feeling good in that playoffs game last year. Oh yeah, playing. up twenty four zero against Kansas City, and, and then, then the, the memes that came out of that. And then the homes just fucking, fucking torching them. Uh, yeah. And then you lose by twenty four. Yeah. The, the memes that came out of that one were so good that I was posting those because it was like the be like Travis Kelsey and Mahomes yeah. and and Kelsey going uh, let's score twenty four and then we try. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what happened. Right. PTSD flashback. Uh, uh, no, this this dude, whole season is I can't broken. believe JJ would retire on that season. No, he, well here's he's, he's going to fake the retirement and then come oh, out. Okay, sign the papers, get out of my deal. Then okay. But but they still own his rights. So, I don't so know. he would have to come back and they'd have to give up his rights. Uh, well, they'll probably, I mean, make some poor trade like they're used to doing, and then just get Pittsburgh will take advantage of them. So the the <laughs> JJ's like, got two younger brothers on the Steelers, and then then have all I would uh, three brothers. I would actually be team. a huge fan if JJ Watt actually went to the Steelers and got to play with his brothers. That would yeah. be a good story. Mm. That'd be a legit story. Are you? Are you? Do you still keep up with the with the NFL? I do. Uh, I like uh, my wife's a huge NFL fan. She likes to watch it, and uh, so like during the week, if there's TV on, it's usually one of the games. So we're only allowed to watch sports during the week. Okay. And uh, like, but what's funny is then I came home the other day, and my kids have been watching these stupid shows. And I called her yesterday. I'm like, "What happened to sports during the week?" She's like, "There's no fucking football on." So she's like, "I get to let them watch something." So um, we would watch Monday night football, Thursday night football, and then we usually watch some stuff on and. Uh, my daughter started playing basketball, so now we've been watching a ton of basketball. Um, the problem is, we started watching some NBA shit, and it's like, like sitting there trying to explain to your nine-year-old daughter like, like how to play basketball, and all that happens is you see Steph Curry come down and shoot like a three from half court, and then just fucking like uh, all that happens in the NBA. Like they don't run plays, they don't do anything. It's just fucking cannons from the outside. Like a rain really? drops because man, it used to be people down there going hard down the fucking no, pain. No, it, it's like you got to watch college basketball now. Okay. Yeah, like college actually come, they bring the ball down, you'll see them set up and they run plays and they pass. And I'm like I don't like I don't keep up with it. Like I barely, I still watch because, the NFL because I'm I'm here because you know they're winning because the last few years. Well, yeah. you got well, to. I mean, I've always watched the NFL. But I took a few years. I took a few years off, but it's as a, a guy that's been a Chiefs fan since the nineties. Um, it's it's definitely been nice to, to watch again, and, and everybody's like, you got You have to be. It's a really weird fucking thing. You should know this for people like, well, you got to be cheap, like right, like to from like where it was in the nineties to two thousands, where there were some really great teams here, yeah. but they were never the team to beat, right? right? So, but I back when I watched basketball, my thing was this was I I like to watch. Used to be the NBA playoffs were fucking money, right? Yep. Back when the Lakers, when everybody yep. either you loved or hated the fucking Lakers, watching yeah, I and when Robin was fucking yeah. playing, when Robin was playing, any when the, when the Bulls were playing and Robin was playing at the time, you would watch the Bulls. Everybody talked about Jordan. I watched the Bulls to watch fucking Robin. That that he was to me, even to this day, still the most underrated uh, defensive. Like he's usually considered people so I consider one of the greatest. But like I still never thought, even at that time, he got the props. He deserved because people always talk about Shaq. Yeah. But Robin was such next fucking level of shutting people down. Yeah, well, I mean, he didn't care. He even said, I don't care if I score a point. I saw my base score on me. And he was rebounding. It was always rebounds yeah, and, and fucking shutting guys did, down. Did, but how cool was it? To, like, he was such a – there's some really weird – like, when you watch certain players dominate certain sports. And you, there's not always a certain thing you can, like, put your finger on. But, like, why was Robin – like, I remember, like, games where he had, like, 22 rebounds, right? 
you know, in the playoffs. And shit. But he, he wasn't focusing on being a complete player. It wasn't like, I mean, if you watched him, he would like uh, even slow play some of the stuff on the. But on the when you have one side. guy, right? Like when you have a guy like that, that's yeah. like, man, I don't care if I score a fucking point. But I'm they needed that gonna, guy. They had twenty they, rebounds. They, they had Jordan and they had uh, Scottie Pippen. They I mean, they Jordan didn't. I mean, Horace Grant. Like they didn't really yeah. need. Uh, well, Horace Grant was that first three, <laughs> oh, that's and right. they needed to replace those right. that and they, defense. And that's rebounder. what they brought in. Yeah. And it, it was wild card. Ooh. Did you watch the Last Dance documentary? No, I had. Oh man. Everybody told me it was amazing. It is it is amazing. And Rodman, so they break it down, they dedicate certain episodes to certain key people like oh, Phil okay. Jackson. I need to catch up. Scotty Rodman. But Rodman's and how they talked about it, and he would explain his mind for the rebound and how he would describe to other people his breakdown and equation. Was it like a physics thing? Yeah, equation to find the trajectory based off the shot to hunt down the rebound. So he would basically leave his his Assignment to but, then go so get. That, that's rebounds. what I was getting at. So I haven't, I haven't watched it, so I don't even know that. But that intuitive nature thing that he had in order to know the trajectory of how the ball was going to bounce off, basically the back. He understood it and had an intuitive, natural feel for how that was going to happen. Because some of those things, I don't think you can teach people. You have to well, feel. Well, don't, don't you remember when he first went to the Bulls? Uh, they had a deal where they were like talking about his first practice. He went out there early and like was just basically letting everybody shoot and just getting the rebounds because he wanted to see. How like and he believed that like every person where they shot like this is where their rebound would go. And yeah, he was smart in that way. B- Bulls were his third team, so he was Detroit with yeah, the Detroit. the bad boys, yep. and then he had a stint in San Antonio. San Antonio. Yeah. So he had some great coaches and mentors and teammates leading up to this. But they it was it was kind of that perfect storm thing with exactly. that team, right? Like yeah. it's like the guy the guy guys came, came together. It was like the perfect storm thing, and and I think anytime you get into dynasties like that, I think there is the uh, culmination of those factors. Right, like with where the Bulls were, or if you look at the Patriots, like although it's pretty, like how cool it's kind of cool. Is everybody loves or hating, but Tom Brady an FC fucking championship game. I like so you know the, the whole deal where it's like, oh, is it Brady or Belichick? The fact it's that Brady, Tom Brady, and Tom Brady goes down, and now he's in the AFC championship game, or sorry, NFC championship game. Yeah, I'm pretty it's, excited for that. I think it's going to be good. I'm legit. They beat the Saints, yeah. and I grew up a New Orleans fan, but I wasn't upset, and I'll tell you why because. I thought for years it was fucking Tom Brady. I thought, yeah. like, for years it was fucking Tom Because Bill Belichick was with the Browns all those years, and they sucked it. And I'm like, the like he had Bledsoe. They didn't really fucking do anything. And then Tom Brady comes in, and they start fucking winning the Super Bowls for 20 years. And I'm like, dude, it's Brady. Like, you can't. Like, the shit he did in the Atlanta Super Bowl when he came back in that first. Like, that's one of the weird things when you have somebody at that next level, like a Jordan or a Brady or whatever. And I remember watching that game and going, I don't know why I feel like they're not out of it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we were watching the Atlanta game and they were getting smoked. And Brady's on the sidelines goes like, you know, like you watch the the, the highlights. And he's like, no, we got this, guys. And but you felt that too, right? Like you're watching it. And you're like, nah, they're not really out of it. Uh, that that game was in Houston, and so my my stepsisters they ended up at the game, and one one is into sports, the other is a fashionista, and she got free tickets because she does uh, dress clothes for the Texans. So a player gave her two Super Bowl tickets. And she left at halftime. So the reason this is the wild story, and I will never forgive her for and this. And she didn't invite you? That's one <laughs> why I'll never forgive her this. Two, she, so she was dating a dude. Rotten son of a bitch. Yeah, she was dating a dude and pressured him into hosting a Super Bowl party in Houston. That I mean, you know how it is. In cities, it's yeah. a big deal. So this dude lived downtown, and uh, she pressured him into hosting a party. And then on the Friday before the Super Bowl, she gets gifted two tickets from one of her clients. And then she feels pressure to like, oh, I, you have to host this party. I'm not, you told all your friends. 
And then she goes to the game for the half, leaves at halftime down 28-3. And then it's the greatest comeback of all time. And then goes to the Super Bowl party like, hey, I'm here. And everyone's like, what? You left? I'm pissed and gave her shit on the dude for saying and not having the courage to tell his friends. What he guys said got, was, I got Super Bowl tickets. I got tickets. Go fuck yourselves. Right. Yeah, and it's Come not party like, at my house. I'll be back. It's not like they can't find another opportunity to go watch the game. There's a million Super Bowl parties. Yeah. So, one, was pissed that she left at halftime. Two. So you've never spoken to her since? No, I told her, dump, <laughs> dump that dude. Like, I would have taken that ticket, but what an idiot. <laughs> what an idiot. Yeah. But then the other sister watches this amazing game and... Yeah, that's it. She owns it. So yeah, so my two teams always my whole life. You know, I was, I was born outside New Orleans in uh, Morgan City, and so I grew up, you know, born and bred Saints fan. I became kind of a Chiefs fan on my own in the nineties. So I've always had people like, "Well, are you a fan of two teams? Like, get the fuck out of here! I'll be a fan of two teams if I want to. One's in the AFC, one's in the NFC." Yeah. So it's not like I picked the fucking Niners in the eighties or some shit. You know what I mean? I didn't pick the Cowboys in the nineties. Uh, dude, the Chiefs pretty good in the nineties. I mean, they had like uh, Derek Thomas. And when those when guys. I when I really what really turned me on to the Chiefs back um, back at that time was when uh, Coyier and Barry Word were here, and you know they just they had, brought in Joe Montana that one. No, it was way before that. Um, I think it was when uh, Craig. Big oh. Greg was here. So it was going far back. So they, they played really strong defense, yeah. right? And they, they ran the ball really well. And that really appealed to kind of like my the nature of how I, like I love football, right? So, you know, it's a smash mouth. Let's line up 260-pound, you know, Christian Koye and 235-pound Barry Word. And let's, you know, run down everybody's throat. And um, and they played really good. And then Derek Thomas, you know, came mm-hmm. in, played Alabama. Come in, they, had, they had Derek Thomas, Neil Smith, and Tracy Simeon. Yeah. Then, so it's like, see, I, mean, I know my guys. I'm all Dude, about the Chiefs. It. Always had defense, man. Always. always had defense, except um, during the years of fucking Vermeil was here. Yeah, you know when Vermeil was here, they couldn't, they couldn't fucking, they couldn't stop a, a kindergarten squat, right? Yeah, Gunner, uh, Gunner Peak, or no, was it um, Gunner Cuttingham? Yeah, Gunner Cuttingham, man, was yeah. a defense coordinator. And they had brought him back, you know, trying to rekindle that magic. Yeah. And uh, it's like we talked about. There's just certain times, certain things come together. So Guthrie, when you gave you gave him like a like a Derek Thomas and a Neil Smith, and um, you know, like I said, Tracy Simeon. Who they have? Like Dale Carter, James Hasty. I think there was yeah. probably a time when the Chiefs had one of the. I think if they had won Super Bowls, you could you'd look back and think some of their defenses probably would have been some of the greatest defenses of yeah. all time. Not the best, of course, but top ten in conversations because they had um, James Hasty, Dale Carter. Uh, was it Mark Collins was this, uh, one of the safeties? I, I believe so. I can I don't remember most of those guys. Um, they had some really, really great defenses over yeah, there. Yeah, no, I, I remember watching Derek Thomas on film and, like, dude, he was so elusive. He moved yeah. so well. He had that ability. I love Derek Thomas. Like, when Derek died, I literally fucking cried at the park a lot of it. Yeah, man. Uh, he, black Ice yeah, going to the Super Bowl. He, um, he had that ability to do something with his hips and yeah. turn. That it's like just a genetic gift. Like you can't. Uh, he, he, well, it was balance deal. He had the ability to like, like keep his body upright yes. and like run sideways. Yes, and, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> incredible. Uh, the only other person I ever see. Well, no, I can't say that. The other person I saw with that was like Hugh Douglas. Yes, who was our pass rusher at the Eagles. Yeah. And uh, Hugh had this weird ability. Another guy's really underrated as a pass yeah. rusher, right? Yeah, he was another one. Like almost like a cat. Like you could knock him off his feet. Even if you knocked him, he would like land on his feet. And it was the weirdest thing. Like he just uh, like had that innate ability to be able to move in space in weird ways. Yeah, they had so so. Like I grew up, I was I say Senate and a Chiefs fan. So even it's so a funny thing is 
is that uh, I mean, not soured, you know, but like Drew Brees a little bit on Drew Brees like this past year with the whole some of the. Yeah, what do you think about all that? Like, uh, I don't even know that I want to get into it with the whole Jacob Blake thing where he's putting fucking Jacob Blake in his helmet and stuff like that. How about how yeah. fuck about that whole situation? And, and then the crazy part was he, uh, you know, he came out and said I would never kneel for the national anthem, and then, and then did then fucking, and then he did, and then he did. So like, dude, and, well, I, and then they were like, you know, basically like he uh, caved rather yeah, than oh, taking a stand morally, like, like, like he was a Chilean miner. Caving. And, yeah. and, and you know what? Like, like I, uh, Too soon? I don't have That's a problem. Good. Like, however side you want to sit on this, like, every, just like, stay in there. Like, or kneel there. Whichever but, side you choose. But you yeah. know what? Like, uh, um, he, he obviously, that was his opinion. And then social pressure, I, I get it. Like, but I have no respect for people that bow to social pressure. That's why with all these people, when they get like, they're going to get canceled, you know, canceled. Well, I the think whole. he was worried, uh, you know, like, I, I think there's always an interesting thing with like the idea of legacy. And what I think he knew is like his career is at its twilight, and like yeah. he, he didn't want that to be his legacy, but then, or like you know the fact that he doesn't get voted into the Hall of Fame because he you know he did something. So I think what happened was he uh, he fucking shot his mouth off uh, and, and came out, he, and then I think they came and they were like, hey, like this isn't going the way you think it's going to go, and he fucking he and his like they apologized, his wife apologized. I mean. Is fucking embarrassing. Yeah. Um, but I think it was this idea of like, I have to save my legacy. I'm never going to get to Hall of Fame. I'm never going to get that, you know, sports desk, uh, you know, Sunday, you know, Toby, Tony, and Toby, you know, and, and Tony and Terry and all, you know, that type of shit. Right. Like, I think, uh, I like, think how was, you, like, how are you going to get that job if you were the guy that was refusing to, to you know, when yeah. there was a social pressure to do that? But, but back to actual sports. Then you side. know what? Don't fucking say anything. Like, uh, like I always think with a lot of this stuff. Just be if you're just quiet. Everybody wants your opinion. Hey, and I, I used to get this like so. Like, you know, I'm really like I, I get people all the time on Instagram. Like, I want to know your opinion on this. No, get the and fuck. I'm like, I actually did a lot. I, dude, I get that constantly, and I'm always like, no. Or um, listen to the podcast. Uh, it, it, it's amazing how people have this strange, like, almost like a. Uh, like, it's a sense of entitlement. Yeah, like a sense of entitlement that, like, to, to, to know how I view this stuff. And I'm like, first of all, well, why does my opinion fucking matter to you? Well, it's we're in hot take culture. Like if we're watching any we, of the news stations. That, you, and I, you, you and I that yeah. had that talk, I ended up making that post about it. I was in fucking incense because I'll get those. Um, I don't give a fucking, like what I, I had somebody say something like, I love watching your social media. Like you lose, I was like, I don't lose followers. My social media has been exploding. And I laugh and people are like, well, I don't respect you. Oh, fuck. Like, well, that's what it was. Uh, because that's when people yeah. are like, people are like I'm lost. losing respect for you. And you're like, I don't live my life to garner the respect of people. I don't know. Right. <laughs> like, do you think small. that somehow like your respect for somebody who's like, I have no contact with, I've never met or everything that these weird statements about I'm losing respect. But I, <laughs> like, I, I, like, I don't know you. Somebody did that to me the other day on Twitter. I'm like, I don't, I don't give a fuck. I'd stay away from Twitter. Yeah. Uh, I just, like, I just, Twitter you, is fucking turned into such a weird Twitter is, this, is the, of all social media platforms, Twitter's the absolute fucking cesspool. Of social media platforms, it's the worst. It's as the absolute fucking worst. Somebody needs to burn it down. But the only reason I use it is for posting stuff on my my Instagram, and I'll find another meaning for that. But um, driving all the way back around to where how we even got off on this fucking tangent <laughs> was the Tom Brady thing, and that was the Tom Brady's in the NFC Championship yeah. game this fucking weekend. He beat out the Saints for a reason. Well, I the, wasn't even upset fact, because the fact that he torched the AFC for as many years and had switched over now to the <laughs> NFC. I mean, he's got to be like if he goes to the Super Bowl, he's got to be one of the only quarterbacks in history to basically quarterback a team in both the AFC and NFC. 
one quick meme that I saw. I hate Dallas Cowboys, but it was like I fucking hate the Cowboys. Years in the, the NFC <laughs> NFC Championship games, Tom Brady won. Years in the NFC NFC Championship games, or it was like the past twenty five years. Right. Zero for the Cowboys. It's so, dude, I can't. There can't. There can't be enough years stacked up to go by that the Cowboys suck whole dicks. Um, because I, I grew up and like as bad since like my dad was a huge Cowboys fan. I don't know what that is about growing up. I don't know if there was any things that your dad loved growing up that it made you despise just because your fucking dad uh, loved it. But no. I think that's kind of a normal thing on some fronts for like for like. Like the male, like we like we had to go to. Uh, so my dad went to law school at USC. So like we'd always like when we were kids, we would have to do this fucking uh, USC law or uh, uh, SC. Did it make you want to go play at UCLA? No. Uh, <laughs> so we used to like go to this like SC things, and I like I remember when I was getting recruited. Um, you know, uh, I got recruited by SC UCLA, and uh, I remember I, I was like, we went on a trip to UCLA, and I was like, there's no fucking way I can go play football in powder blue uniform. Yeah, like 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 they they had this really just kind of faint gold and the powder blue. And right, like, this is so I could pick those fucking colors. Terrible. So then uh, when I went to SC, I, I remember talking to my dad, and I was like, Dad, what do you think? And he's like, oh, I think SC would be fine, but at the end of the day, like, go away to college. Don't be one of these SC stooges. He's like, I went to school with these cool, douchebags, and he's like, you know what, go out. And when I told him I went to Cal, he's like, good, that's where all the smart people go. Yeah. And he's like, uh, he goes, you know, with SC, people always be able to accuse you of buying your education. Nobody ever buys an education at, at Cal. Yeah. You earn that shit. So, getting back to my dad, my dad was a huge fucking Cowboys fan from, from the time I was little. He's not anymore, but he was throughout the 80s. And then, remember, they started winning in the 90s. They went, oh, like, and then they so fired So, fucking, Landry. you know, the Aikman. And I, I can't stand, like, Emmett Smith, if, like, you say the, the word Emmett Smith, it's everything I can do to not fucking projectile vomit. So, because of all the years, fucking John Madden and, and oh. uh, John Madden, he... If, if if there could have been a metaphorical cock to suck in the fucking nineties two thousands, it would have been something made by the Dallas Cowboys, right? Because you know what I'm talking about, Jeremy. Like, well, it, it reminds me of John Gruden and JJ. I Watt. knew this was coming. Uh, I would like sit there when like we would like you know when Gruden was doing Monday Night Football and JJ Watt was on Monday Night Football. Like Gruden, I know peed his pants a little bit. Like right. like he's like. Oh. <laughs> like, yeah, we just be like, JJ, so like, and we would listen. And I, I, I think that's why this whole thing started with like disliking JJ Watt was because uh, Gruden, uh, I fucking know Gruden. And like, the way Gruden would like literally pee his pants, like, uh, like I don't know, like a little kid about JJ Watt, I'm like, I can't believe this. But if, no, like, I bet you if, could. If JJ Watt was a dick, there would be like right. Gruden would be like unhinging his jaw like a snake to fucking something. Just couldn't get enough of it in. And that's, that's the way anybody that was around really watched football a lot in the 90s or 2000s. Well, do you know why he loved the Cowboys so much? Was because their offensive line. So, right. uh, uh, Which, uh, Madden, really gonna fucking Madden, make me have fucking Madden, childhood flashbacks Madden, right uh, now. Madden, you know, and, uh, you know, was a coach, whatever, offensive lineman. Right. Like, that was always his right. deal. Uh, I was actually on Madden's horse trailer, so I was kind of, I'll, I'll give you that one. <laughs> but he loved Nate Newton and Larry Nate Allen. Nate Newton and Larry uh, Allen. Uh, and then, uh, Stephanowski. Yes, Stephanowski. And who's it was, guy? uh, two, um, uh, no, it was their offensive line. Uh, that left. was the one that I raised. Nate Newton, Larry, Larry Allen, he actually, remember Larry Allen started out as a guard and moved into left tackle. Well, no, but no. So they, uh, um, the way it goes, I, I think it was, God, I can't remember the guy's name. It was 71 guys. was their left tackle and he was a, like a big Islander dude. He ended up dying recently, like a couple of years ago. But he was a beast. And then they had uh, Larry Allen playing left guard. They had Step at center. Then they had uh, Nate Newton at right guard. And then right tackle, 
God, I, I remember George Hageman, who I played with, played there, but I can't remember who they're. I don't. He goes with the one there. I don't think they're. No, the but so. But the you know they were uh, everybody tipped the scales at three hundred and thirty pounds. Yeah, and that and they was were just fucking. And that cruise. was like that was they were kind of like even for even even and for they had, today they would be a big. Oh, they they line. were huge. Uh, and then they had uh, uh, Mark Mark two and a. That's yeah, it. Two and yes, a. Yeah. two and a. Uh, he he died. How many years? Uh, he died. What was it? Eric called? Williams. Eric that's Williams. Fucking hell, I forget Eric Williams. Eric yeah, Williams um, was dirty as fuck. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, when did uh, two and a die? Oh, I, I don't know. I'm just on a different site that only has the uh, top ten. Click, and they click, they click probably on, uh, are. Click on would, two you, would you would you consider probably that line to be maybe the best offensive line of all time? No. Who who do you think the Kansas City Chiefs one I played on Willie Rowe, <laughs> Will Shields, uh, see, I would Casey honestly, Wigman, uh, Brian Waters? I, I would. I dude, I would say that. Okay, like, I would uh, have to. Here's the thing: if I say with Tony that, Gonzalez, if I fucking Jason Dunn, yeah, if I say that, here's Holmes, the thing, people always fucking tell me that I'm being a homer. But I'm like, dude, when you that was the the difference, right? Is when you added in Tony Gonzalez and you added in uh, Jason Dunn, Jason Dunn, who Jason Dunn was like another offensive tackle, right? dude. He, he was. was fucking, yeah, he always, we actually talked to him next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're fucking, JD dude, on the that podcast. dude would block the he would yeah, block he the was, fucking dick off, and right, yeah, like he was yeah, amazing. amazing. So it was just as fun to when he lined up to watch him block, right? Like just as, as yeah. anything, like any of the other guys. But that line, I would argue, in my opinion. Um, and I don't think that here's the difference is I don't think and somebody could would would uh, I, I hope not try to make that an argument for those fucking shitty ass um, Denver offensive lines with Alex Gibbs coaching that fucking. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, um, you got uh, don't do stink. it. John. Uh, don't do it. Uh, Dan uh, Dan Neal, yeah. uh, who lives in Austin. They, but it, it, it they was, slather, slather, slather uh, themselves yeah, was, up with uh, fucking Vaseline. No, the, it was uh, Slareth. You don't remember that? Yeah, it was Mark Slareth. Slareth. Um, and it would have been they had a uh, Dan Neal. And then the, the, the left tackle was um, not Jim Lachey, but it was. Uh, they were all smaller guys. Fuck. It was uh, Gary Zimmerman. Yeah. One of my right. favorite offensive linemen, dude. One of the people that I watched and was like, man, because he, uh, I actually got my vertical set from Gary Zimmerman. So I remember when I um, so when I I came in they I, I, when I got drafted the Eagles I played left tackle uh, and then I ended up starting a right guard or sorry a right tackle I got hurt and then I came back then and I, I remember um, when they were like you know cutting film and hey this is like the technique we want to watch I remember talking to Juan Castillo my offensive line coach and I'm like hey you got any like six foot five white dudes because all you're showing me like six foot seven, six foot eight black dudes that have arms that are like twelve feet long, right. like like uh, you <laughs> like know, I can't mimic that. No, I was like, dude, show me a six foot five, like three hundred pound white dude. And so I watched uh, Gary Zimmerman, I watched um, uh, Jim Lachey, like I watched all these dudes who were like uh, uh, um, Jumbo Elliott, uh, all these guys that were like six foot five white dudes. And like that was where I picked up all my technique because as technique and leverage wise, that's what yeah, you had to do. Yeah, well, like, hey, don't show me some dude like Trey Thomas is six eight, three hundred sixty pounds, and he's got like you know seven foot two wingspan. He's over there punching the dude across the line at the ball snap. And get, but getting getting back to that line, right? Like that was the um, that was the to me, and I know, like I said, I I really believe this. I believe that. If the Chiefs would have won a couple of Super Bowls during that time, I think most people would consider that line to be the best offensive line to ever play. Well, I think if we had a guy like Mahomes, I mean, it was funny when uh, Mahomes blew I, up last year. If you year, had a guy like and, Mahomes, who fucking they were on the Chiefs and, uh, like six or seven. Oh, dude, uh, uh, it was funny. Tony texted me, and yeah, like we were kind of texting back and forth, and I was like, man, you know, Trent was all right, but Mahomes is good. And then uh, Tony made a funny point. He goes, dude, Hell of Mahomes, if we had had that defense, he goes, we would have won fucking Super Bowls. Yeah. He's like, that defense is stingy. 
Yeah. And he's like, dude, he goes, you remember, we were going into games and we'd have like 30, 40 points on the board, but we're going to lose this motherfucker. That's we, and, and it was just, it was a weird deal, man. Like, the, if, then, if you, the, like, if you have a stingy defense and you play really consistent special teams, all you got to do is just consistently put up 12, 14, 21 points. So that was the cool thing about last year's Chiefs team um, was watching it. was And you, you I mean, you notice if you really watch football um, and understand football, like as the season wore on, you saw that defense become a, a much more cohesive unit, learn that there was a it's Spags system Dude. for the first year. So Spags was our, uh, he was our, our DB's coach when I was at the Eagles. And then he went out and then came back and the whole deal. So he's been with Andy for, what, like 20 years? Yeah. But uh, the one thing which I always like, and you, you can talk about defenses and this and this, I just like stingy defenses. Mm-hmm. Like like the cheap dude in Vegas who's at the, like the nickel slots. Like that's the defense I want. I, like, I want the defense that's like literally like giving up nothing and spending nothing and giving you nothing. So like you line up, you know, like they don't have to have like tons of interceptions and fumbles and the whole thing. Just like three and outs, three and outs. Give them here. Be stingy. Fight them every bit of the way. And I think that's the way. They that's a, that's a great way to describe what you saw. Yeah. Which is, even last year, they went into yeah exactly. And then we went to the playoffs last year, and it was when I think you could really see this was that gets that the Titans mm-hmm. when Derrick Henry came in was running all over fucking everybody. And, and that's uh, dude, I got so pissed off that fucking week. They're like Derrick Henry's going to come in and punch it. And the cool thing about that point that Tony was making is that last year's team and this year's defense has been good too. Yeah, like they, they'll talk about rankings, but I'm like, no, they're a good fucking defense. Last year's defense took that shit personally. Yeah. So they had guys like a Matt Al and they had uh, Frank Clark and they had other guys that were like the real leaders. So when, when Henry and the Titans came to town, they read those press clippings. They're like, oh, they're good. Derek Henry's going to run all over the fucking Chiefs. He ended up 3.6 yards per carry, yeah. and they punched him in the fucking mouth every play. But, but, but think about this. I mean, these are really um, – I mean, can you name one legitimate superstar on that on that Chiefs defense? Uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Chris. Honey Badger. Yeah. Chris uh, Jones. Yeah, Chris. Okay. Uh, but, like, for, for, for the most part, like, you know, those guys are, are pretty good, but there's no, like – But there's no – actually, but the other part is there's no real – this guy sucks either. Yeah. You know what I mean? Everybody's good, super consistent. Like, I mean, you watch them and there's playmakers, whatever. They're just real stingy. And I, I, dude, I like the way they play defense. Yeah, and and that's the, – the funny thing is getting back to, like, where we could and then who knows if Mahomes is going to play this week. You know, we're going into the championship games. But it would be – I don't know. To me, it would be really ironic – if Mahomes was facing Brady in the Super Bowl, you fucking year. great, dude. You could not write this motherfucker better if right? Brady wins, and all of a sudden it's Mahomes versus Brady in the Super Bowl, like the old line versus young line. Like you, you remember, know you're gonna uh, hear it all fucking uh, right? like you, you remember in the Rocky movie. You remember where uh, with uh, Tommy Morrison? What was that? Rocky yeah. Five, five? Yeah. Rocky Five, and you remember the dude playing Don King? He's like old line versus young line. He goes to that. That's like, dude. That's the clip you're gonna hear only in America. Right. Like, I, dude, it would. But be, it's pretty epic, right? To yeah. watch not only who, like if it's if it's Mahomes versus Brady, like you're, you're gonna be amped for that, right? Oh. Just for, now, fucking Buffalo Bills versus anybody. Uh, dude, I really like that quarterback. I do, too, but I'm oh saying it's hard. I, I mean, dude, to see him and Mahomes go against with, like two young quarterbacks like that. Uh, like that to me, like I really like the way that dude plays. Yeah, no, he's I do too. Like, he's fucking good. And you know, the other thing is, is just I don't know, watching like the demise of the uh, the, the fucking Steelers this year. Was, oh my god! Like, watch them. Back. I have never seen anybody fold like they did. They, like a like a cheap plastic chair. But when they started out, they were what nine, ten, eleven. Was, was it, well, they were they, down. Were, weren't they ten and zero or 11? eleven? And 0. Uh, eleven and zero, and then right? they dropped like the last five. <laughs> <laughs> and then, 
they were they went down twenty eight zero against Cleveland. Yeah. And I'll tell you, uh, I wasn't a Baker Mayfield fan. I'm a Baker Mayfield fan. I, I do like in his press conference was like I woke up feeling dangerous. I fucking I was like you know what <laughs> I love it. Like to me, um, I love that I love that he's taking some Joe Willie Namath and I mean he got up. He's like I'm just feeling dangerous. Like I fucking loved it. I I heard I, that line. Yeah. I was like good. I uh, I hope you feel dangerous for the rest of your life. I think the Chiefs had done this this past year, watching last year, the difference in this year is I think that in the last, this last week, second half of the season, they in a lot of games they. Play to the level of whoever it was they were playing that day, right? Mm-hmm. Which is why I think they fought. I think it's two things. They're getting everybody's A game. When you're a Super Bowl champion, oh, yeah. you get a motherfucker's yeah. A game. And then the other thing is they're not – I don't think they're quite as good as they were last year. Yeah, I, I think what happens with a guy like Mahomes, because he's so explosive, I think people are coming in and they don't want to get like uh, look like an asshole. So, like, everybody's coming out. They're giving them their best. But I think, like, with the defensive schemes and the way they're playing things – like, people don't gamble on the homes. Like, they play, like, real consistent, kind of vanilla, like, yeah. and... and uh, Make uh, him really have to pick a spot. Yeah. So, you, like, you don't... And if you're going to play, like, lockdown man-to-man against him, he's just going to fucking just yeah. destroy you all day long. Um, but it's like you said, what you've seen a lot of is that spread coverage. Yeah, and, whereas, they, and dude, and there's constantly dudes spying him. Like, uh, if you notice, like, like you know, like, as they go drop guys, there'll always be one dude spying because he's such a run threat and he moves so well. So, I mean, it, it's... But yeah. this past he, weekend, he's game, good, man. fucking the epicness of that one, too, against the Browns, where fucking, uh, where was it, Flan took off and ran on that, that mm-hmm. third down play for fucking, was it third and 15 or whatever it was, yeah. and took that big shot. He, like, dove yeah. and like, took yeah. that big shot. Dude, you know, uh, what was the... Um, what was the one where uh, uh, in the Water Boy when it's like you know uh, you know fourth and one end of the season save nothing uh, like, uh, uh, Dan Fouts yeah, the announcer yeah, yeah, last game of the season can't hold anything back yeah, and, uh, <laughs> as, as I saw him run like that I'm like end of the lifetime end of right. the season this is your last chance you better fucking make right. it well that is his Super Bowl unless he has to start this week right I don't think I, uh, Mahomes I mean he's a tough dude he's gonna come out and play. I, mean, I, I think, there, I think there's no way. I, I can't imagine Mahomes not playing. But then, then they end up running that fucking a shotgun on f- fucking fourth and inches, and they really it's a rollout pass. Yeah. Who the fuck? Watching and, Tony Romo have a fucking Ray, belt, like not a belt, like but in a good way about Dude. how Tony Romo's the fucking shit for calling. Right? He's the he's the he, best fucking announcer he in is. the game. And and you know what? Uh, I. I never liked Tony Romo as a quarterback. But as a dude. He is hands down the best announcer. He's like not just the the best maybe ever. He should have just skipped the whole quarterback thing. (laughs) But then he wouldn't know what. I know. But dude, he's like prophetic. Well, he's he's super smart. Like uh, those quarterbacks, dude, are next level. Like I I always love the story that um, um, who was it? Nick Hardaway uh, was telling us about uh, uh, Philip Rivers. That I guess did you did you ever hear this one about where uh, the Houston like they were playing Houston JJ Watt yeah and uh, basically <laughs> seriously yeah seriously, seriously uh, Philip Rivers is like you guys are in the wrong defense uh, the JJ Watt just told the story yeah. and listen to that but was uh, that it? rookie I, year I thought Nick uh, didn't Nick Hardway tell us some stories about him plenty uh, but the Rivers so as a tip of the cap from Watt to Rivers who just retired he said his favorite memory is rookie year when they're playing the Chargers. Uh, Philip Rivers reads the defense and sees J.J. Watt, and he tells the the defensive captain on Texans, your boy's out of place. Your boy's out of position based off the defense you're about to run. (laughs) (laughs) And he was right. I mean, but he's fucking next level. You know the crazy thing about Because they watch so much film. 
And so, like, that's an interesting thing about uh, Tony Romo and people are, like, tripping out. I'm like, well, dude, these guys watch film on everybody. And the way it's broken in is into tendencies. So, like, if you're in this set, these are the plays that you run on these down and distances. And these guys memorize this shit. Right. So, like, Tony Romo's watching and he's like, okay, second and three. They're in this. They run these three plays, especially when this guy, and he knows all the cues. Right. And he's watching all of the fucking film on it because he has to be doing the color commentary. Right. And so he gets out there and he looks like an absolute fucking genius. But, but like, he, dude, he, this is but all he's Romo's done. Is still better than most at calling it, prophetically calling that well, shit. But think about it. Okay, Chris Collinsworth is the worst. I fucking, he's fucking I, I like, like if, if a game has Chris Collinsworth on, I watch it on mute. Uh, I, I didn't like him when I met him. I didn't like him when we do our pregames. I didn't fucking like anything. Madden, uh, or, uh, Madden was good, but uh, um, John. people really liked Gruden because Gruden did it. And what Romo did is he saw – because like, uh, Gruden would be like, oh, uh, he would call the plays. He'd be like, oh, look at that. That sprint right option. Or they ran this. Right. They ran counter trade. So he would just call the plays and tell people what play they were running, and people loved it. Romo saw that and was like – Fuck, I'm just going to give the tendencies. I'm going to call the place before they fucking happen. Right. And he's so right. I mean, he, he's a sharp. I mean, yeah, that's, I, that's why he had that fucking epic meltdown on the, the fourth and inches this past year. He's like, oh, Andy Reid's the only guy that'll fucking okay, throw Dude, dude uh, we did it, man. First game of the year when we were playing the Dallas Cowboys. Very first play, season opener. Fucking onside kick. Who fucking onside kicks the very first play? First game of the season. First game can't hold anything back. Yeah. And we get it and go down there and curve. Like, literally, we watch the air come out of him. Andy is, uh, God, what was the term, man? Uh, fuck. What did, uh, riverboat gambler. Yeah. So there was always this term, like, uh, you know, and so you're sitting in these meetings, and, like, at the, uh, our defensive coordinator was a guy named Jim Johnson, who since passed away. He's fucking best. I remember Jim Johnson. Yeah. yeah. Fucking blitz. He was yeah. blitz crazy. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so he would, uh, uh, like, the code name for, like, basically you bring one more than they can block. You bring the house. It's called Always, casino. Yeah. And he'd be like, we're going to casino the fuck out of these guys. <laughs> Fucking casino. And like everything. And he was like, you know, you got to be riverboat gamblers. We're going to a casino. And uh, Andy. And what was. And so the, here's the other cool thing. is like the evolution coach like of Andy as a coach, right? was like, what was always the big knock on it was that his time management skills were fucking terrible. Yeah. You don't even hear about it anymore because that was something I should prove. Last year when the Chiefs, uh, when they won the Super Bowl, when the game was over, they had all three timeouts left on the clock. Yeah. So that was something like literally when you talk about like even growth in like coaches, like to some coaches you'd be like, this guy sucks in this field. But there's areas like that where you can watch it with Andy's coach. You're like, man, he really fixed well, that part of his coaching. He, he does. Uh, and Andy's a super detailed dude. Uh, and what's, a, what's even cooler is to see like um, – like they always talk about like the coaching cradle, like like the you know the uh, uh, like the lineage, and you remember like all those coaches were all like related to Bill Parcells, Bill, and Bill so, Parcells, and then the other one was was Walsh, right? Yeah, Walsh, yeah. and yeah. Mike so, Holm, Holmgren. Well, Holmgren was okay. under Walsh. Okay, yeah. So Holmgren was under was Walsh, under Walsh. Yeah. and then Andy Reid was a Holmgren guy, and then like all the other guys, like Mariucci and everything, all came in yeah. the Holmgren tree. So it was like the Parcells tree or the Bill Walsh tree, uh, which would be the West Coast offense. And now from, like, Andy, you see, like, Steve Spagnola. You see um, uh, Ron Rivera. And now you, I think you'll see Eric Bieniemy. Yeah, er, Eric Bieniemy, uh, um, Sean uh, McDermott. Mm-hmm. So when I was, uh, again, or when I first went to the Eagles, Sean McDermott was our quality control guy. His job was to get Andy Reid his meals during training camp. So we would, um, <laughs> a lot of heavy lifting. So right. we would bust his balls because he was, like, a little redheaded dude, and we used to call him Mini Reid. And he'd be like, be like, where is Minnie Reed? And we would do mini me jokes at him all the time. And now he's a fucking beast, you know, head coach in the NFL. Oh, my God, we used to give the guy a lot of shit. Um, uh, Pat Shermer, uh, he was our tight ends coach. So you got Ron Rivera, Pat Shermer, Steve Spagnola, 
Um, you know, now uh, Eric B was our running back at the Eagles. I remember in the, in the, in the huddle, I see Eric B and I was like, I saw him play in Colorado when I was a kid, <laughs> you know, and now he's, <laughs> he's been around like 75 yeah. years. And, and then, uh, Deuce Staley, you know, Deuce, uh, he was our running back and now he's out, uh, you know, for the Eagles. And, uh, Doug Peterson was my quarterback at the Eagles. So, uh, man, that was a bad deal. He got canned. Um, he, he, he had a huge falling out with, uh, was it? Uh, the big money, $100 million quarterback. Yeah. They chose the money. Yeah. Who was it? The uh, uh, Carson Wentz, Wentz, the quarterback. So, so what uh, did did, did you hear about the deal? How Wentz was ch- uh, changing plays, so they would call in place, and Wentz would change the play because he hated Peterson so much to make him look bad. Get the fuck out! And so that was like something that came out. I, you know what? And uh, I like I can't imagine. I, I know Doug. He's always been a good dude. I mean, he was a good dude forever. So I, I have a hard time seeing him as a fucking asshole. So like when I'm hearing this stuff, I'm like, ah, that sounds like a lot of bullshit. This seems like. Like uh, some some damage control for a fucking dude they spent a shit ton of money on, so it's gonna be a rough deal, um, you know. And, and uh, it's kind of like the uh, all of a sudden you see your hot ex girlfriend out there winning the Super Bowl. Lurie's probably like fuck, but <laughs> you know they, they they fired Andy, and then he, he got a chance to go to the Chiefs and look at what he's done. I was actually I was talking about the speaking about like the whole the way quarterbacks <clears throat> the whole quarterback thing gets played out with Tom Brady, you know, and him being like this current pick. And I was talking to my dad. We'll still shoot the shit about football, and uh, and I was telling him, or actually he brought it up because like he doesn't he doesn't watch as much anymore, but he did watch a little bit last year because he knew how, he knows I'm a chief fan. He was like, you know, really impressed. But he's like, yeah, where did this Patrick Mahomes come from? And uh, Texas Tech, yeah. And I was like, and we talked about that. Like, remember they used to say, well, you can't fucking you can't take quarterbacks on the spread offenses like that because it just fucking doesn't work in the NFL. And so they had this whole documentary on Patrick Blash. I don't know if you watched it, where they talked about, uh, and I can't even remember who it was, but the one scout for the Chiefs was bugging Andy. He's like, we, he's like, dude, we, we got to get this. You got to watch this Mahomes kid. And so Andy was like, okay, whatever. And he kept coming at him. He was like, no, dude. He's like, you, we got to, you got to, I'm going to send you a film. You got to watch this guy. So he literally, after Andy, the whole fucking year, he's like, are you watching like the shit I'm sending you on this Patrick Mahomes kid? And um, so Andy started watching and he's like, what the fuck? So, they ended up freaking out because remember they traded up a whole bunch of spots to take. I don't remember what it was. I don't pay as close attention as I used to, but um, they ended up trading up a whole bunch of spots to take Patrick, right? Cause they were scared as fuck. They were trying yeah, to trade up. They even jumped higher. ahead of Houston. Yeah. Right. They were trying to trade up even higher. They were scared. He was going to get taken. So they took him on draft day. Everybody was like, what? Like Patrick Mahomes. So dad was like, my dad was like, how would you, he goes, how do you, how would you feel like if you were like a, you know, like the the scout, you know, general manager for any of these other fucking teams to explain how you like this guy wasn't even on your fucking draft board. And so after they drafted Patrick, they were so relieved that he got him and all these other teams. He wasn't even on like their first day board. A lot of these teams yeah. they were like, we didn't even have him on our first day board. Well, certainly not the Bears. Right. Oh. That, that's the well, thing. They got yeah. Mitch Trubisky. The only time Patrick ever was a little bit uh, schneid about playing was that Bears game. Right. Okay. Was when he was it? He held up to number ten or something. Uh, well, yeah, ten or eleven. Yeah, and he then was two. Trubisky, yeah, they traded up to get. Yeah, him. and he actually taunted the sideline a little bit, which is a little out of character for him. For him. Good yeah, for him. but that, he's, that's not normal. I mean, he, but he does have a really bad haircut, like that. Whatever he's got, <laughs> so it's like, what is this like? 
this side. I also really, the other thing that's really cool about uh, Patrick is just who he appears at least to be as a person. He's still with with Brittany, his girlfriend. He's been with since like high school. And she, you know what I mean? Like, he, he didn't but, feel the need to trade up. Well, there's some good stories from the, the previous Browns game here in that Baker was his host when he visited Texas Tech and basically showed him around campus and got him sold on the experience of Lubbock because there's, there's nothing there. So and then, uh, <laughs> and then, what happened to Baker? He didn't, didn't he go? Uh, well, he was, he was a walk-on. And then he ended up winning Big 12 Freshman of the Year. But him and Cliff Kingsbury had a fall out. Wow, it's been that long. Uh-huh. And he oh. transferred to OU. That's what, that's what it was. He had to walk on to OU, then earn a scholarship, and then Heisman, and then number one pick. So the dude's been yeah. traveled. Dude, he, uh, uh, um, I, I always thought he was pretty good. I didn't realize like how athletic and how well he moved. Until like I saw it, like I sort of watch him in the NFL, like you know, because at the time in college, it's like, and I know it sounds weird, but like there's there's donkeys and there's turds and there's people, and you see a guy move, and you're like, how I I wonder how he'll do when everybody's moving fast. Well, yeah, and And, he was Big Twelve. Yeah, and so now all of a sudden you see him roll out, and you've seen him running against people and doing this, and like he moves really well in space. I was like, fuck, dude, that guy's really good athlete, like gifted, gifted athlete. No, and he's from Lake Travis, right? Yeah. yeah, he's he's from right right in our backyard. We live in Austin, so uh, the lady who is like head of like where my like my son's preschool, her son is like best friends and played high school football with him. So she's always out talking him up. Yeah, our region, Drew Brees, Westlake High School, mm-hmm. uh, Baylor's quarterback right now is probably going to go pretty high in the drafted probably next year. So it's a it's a court, little quarterback hot spot. Texas, Texas, maybe one day, maybe one day they'll have some offensive linemen. Oh, <laughs> C. Wellborn, yeah. uh, dude. I, 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 it was I like Nebraska. It was Nebraska all throughout the fucking um, yeah. um, the nineties. Yeah. Whenever they ran that, was it the uh, yeah, was it, what's it, I, called, was it called the? It was just the option, right? Yeah. They just ran the option. Basically, if you went to Nebraska and you were an offensive lineman, you were going to get drafted. No, those guys never panned out. Uh, um, so I, I Whether they panned out or not, yeah. that was forever. They, but but the problem is is because they didn't run a pro-style offense. Right. So that was always was a guys out of USC that played yeah. left tackle always got fucking taken. Yeah, Baselli and those dudes. Yeah. So like, if you played in like a West Coast offense yeah. and you, you could pass pro, because the NFL like doesn't pay you to run block. That's like the... Like, why would like you, we let you run block, you get paid to pass block. Yeah, like, right? So it's like if you were a left tackle, you were playing in those pro-style offenses, usually out in what would be the uh, – what, what, what is that fucking out there? The, the Pac-10 or whatever? Well, it was Pac-10, now it's Pac-12. Yeah, Pac-12. So um, it, it was anytime there was an offensive lineman, they were coming out of fucking – a lot. sometimes they come out of Michigan, but it was usually like out of uh, USC – or any of those offenses. Yeah. But if you wanted a, a run-blocking fucking guard, you got him out of Nebraska. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. right? then Waters play at Nebraska? No, Brent Waters, North Texas. North Texas, that's right. And he right. was a running back. He right. was a fullback. He was a tight end, too, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, tight end running back. And then they went and sent him to NFL Europe. And then he uh, converted him to a center and then came back and ended up being, I mean, he's... But he got bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, he's big fucking big. But, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, and then one played for the Patriots, and then I think he played for a hot minute for the Dallas. And then uh, it was funny, they brought him in to play against Dallas. You know and I, I think he lined up against Nam Su and uh, oh, fucking detached yeah. his bicep. He's, he's playing this weekend on the Tampa Bay. Man, he's got to be, what, 12 years in? Oh, he went to Nebraska. Soon? Yeah, he he was he's, he's he, uh, one of the dirtiest fucking players. I missed him. Um, God, did, did I play against him? He when we played against Detroit. I think I. I what was the year Namsu came in? I think I missed it. Uh, it's it's been. Uh, he's got to be at least twelve. Or but he years. he was a dirty fucking player in Nebraska. I, 
yeah, I mean, there was a lot of bunch of shit about him, but he didn't seem dirty to me. Just seemed like a dude who was a fucking well, you don't, you don't a lot of people. Like, well, just bad tempered. Yeah, well, everybody's got a bad temper. I was like, <laughs> shut up, John. Everybody's a fucking asshole. Everybody's a fucking asshole. Like, who's the meanest person you're playing? Is like every fucking Sunday. Who was the fucking dude when we talked about on? We either had a we either we talked about it on the fucking podcast or we we talked about it uh, on just on a call. Who was the dude? That was one of the best fucking stories. Uh, that's easily my most favorite story by you was the one the guy that you fucking pissed off from the Giants and Michael Strahan was like oh you done fucked up now who is it you pissed uh, yeah, off uh, Keith Hamilton Keith Hamilton that was yeah, right he, he tattooed all the faces of his kids <laughs> on his arms and I was like oh he's a dedicated father and he's like nah it's all the alimony he pays in child support makes him real fucking angry and I was like and you were you, were, uh, you fucking took a dirty the cheap shot at him oh no uh, or you played him real hard yeah, on the play yeah, right yeah and I remember yeah, not straight, a dirt, but you, you I, played I, him hard yeah, and, and I remember Strahan told me I was like the only white dude he ever respected. So that was a pretty good one. I was like, thanks, I think. <laughs> Stu was... 08? Uh, 2010. 2010, yeah. Second, <gasps> second overall pick. So he's only been playing 10 years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was Keith Hamilton. He was a defensive tackle, wasn't he? Yeah, he was yeah, a big motherfucker. Yeah. yeah, it was funny when I saw Stray at Tony Gonzalez's uh, Hall of Fame deal. Uh, that was a good... That, that was fun because I, I hadn't seen him in years. And so we were... Hanging out uh, at uh, like got there early for uh, Tony's Hall of Fame thing, and then uh, Lauren Sanchez, who's um, the mother of Tony's oldest son, uh, Nico. So I see her and see her, and then she introduced me to her boyfriend, Jeff Bezos. Mm. So it's like Lauren Bezos, uh, straight handed myself, and I'm like, how tall? Burg- these burgers are pretty good. <laughs> how tall is Jeff? Uh, not real tall, but he was having a good time. He was like fucking dancing. I'm it's like, on oh, Amazon. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. So uh, Lauren was the other woman in the Jeff Bezos thing, right? So she's like, "Oh, it's my boyfriend Jeff." I'm like, "My wife loves your products. Yeah. Like, uh, we get deliveries daily." Well, then just be—I don't know why I would find that fucking strange. Just to be sitting around with a dude that's worth literally like a trillion. Uh, I kind of wanted to be like, "Hey, I got this po- podcast, Power of the Radio. I think you should come on the Premier Podcast of Strength and Conditioning." Ing, ing, ing. You know, like that would have been, I, I, I should have taken my shot. We could have got Jeff Bezos. Sponsored by Amazon Prime. <laughs> yeah. Hey, if you need something, we sell everything. Fucking, that's crazy. Yeah, he, uh, but uh, when I saw Nico, uh, I had like, I, you know, I dude, I knew him as like a little boy. And uh, I like grabbed him around the neck and I'm like, I was like, what the fuck's going on? He's like, no, everything's good. I'm John, everything's good. I'm like, dude, you need to fucking get like. Like, whatever the fuck's going on, I know this shit's crazy. Because, I mean, can you imagine if your mom's, like, this is your mom's boyfriend? You're like, I mean, it's got to be fucking private jet. Uh, dude. Uh, yeah, so. And then your dad's Tony. So, I mean, you know, you're doing okay. I'm like, he'll be fine. How's straight, straight hand look? Straight hand looks great. He's fucking, yeah. he's thin. He's in shape. I mean, he. Uh, still trains? Yeah, he still trains. Did y'all talk about yeah, that? Oh, he, Michael, he has, he has such a great, like, build he was playing, right? Well, he, um, you, you know, he. he he really, like, it was funny. I was asking, I was like, dude, you're fucking killing it. Like, like everywhere I see you turn around. He goes, man, I had a huge change in mindset. He's like, there was like a huge kind of like kind of chip on your shoulder. And he goes, I think it's like a black athlete, New York, whatever. You get this idea of like, I got to kind of like keep the, you know, this chip on your shoulder. And he goes, the minute I lost that, ch- that chip and realized that the goal was to be successful and to be well-liked and, you know, this and this. He's like, all of a sudden my fucking career stuck to the roof. He goes, I'm on, you know, uh, it's Kathy Lee and all these shows and this and this. And he's like, I've transitioned because I, I kind of 
like, this is what I did and this is how I did it. But I didn't continue to try to be who I was. I grew into somebody new and I uh, had a, just a fucking amazing talk with him. And I was like, dude, you, you know, uh, like I remember um, uh, we used to go up to New York every Monday night. Like it was a big deal. Like I'd go up and hang out with Shocky and all those dudes. And I remember we got invited to some club and we were like, I walked into like. I fucking love him as a player too. Oh yeah. So we went, <laughs> like, 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 like we went to something. It was like down in the meatpacking district. It was like the Gans of War and there was like some new thing opened up. And like we went in, we're having a good time. And as I'm standing there, all of a sudden I see this dude walk up or I, I like hear somebody behind me yell and I turn around and straight him. He's like, what watch you wearing? And I was like. Panerai, what are you wearing? He's like, I got a Panerai too. He goes, I spawned it from across the room. I was like, motherfucker. <laughs> and like, it was so good, dude. I enjoyed playing against him. Uh, always really enjoyed Never him as a person. Him, no, he played his ass off. I mean, just a great dude. And uh, I'll tell you, like, like I um, I forever, and you, you know this too, like, uh, uh, I revel in my friend's success. Like, I'm so excited when my friends are successful. It means everything. Yeah, I, I like, I, it just, like, it gets me jacked. Like, I, I think other people sit around and, like, hope to God their friends don't do well because it makes them look better. Like, I want to I wanna be in the parade. I want to be part there. Like, I, like, I want to see the success of my friends and to see what he's done and, like, always counted him as a friend and somebody I, I loved playing against and somebody I was like, man. You remember down on the goal line when we were playing, I fucking hooked the shit out of you and we scored. And he's like, yes, <laughs> you held the shit out of me. I'm like, I know I did. But like that type of stuff, man, like that's uh, that's the coolest part of that whole deal. And um, to see the success he's had is like, uh, it's uh, it's inspiring and like it forces you to like fucking want to do greater things. You know? Yeah, that you're talking about his, his shift there, his mindset shift reminded me of a, a story that the, I heard Dwayne Johnson. So I don't remember if we talked about that one or not, but it was it was pretty impactful to me, and I, I wish I, I applied it more. Uh, but I get you know I get so many assholes coming at me every day; it's hard to, but especially by the end of the day. But still, it's a good story, and that is he's talking about um, when he was in his late twenties, and like he was already pretty famous in his mid twenties, and I think he was already like WWE champion at that time. He was in his late twenties, and he's talking about how he couldn't go anywhere without being known. Like no matter where he went, he'd get you know accosted by fans and stuff. And he was at a restaurant one night or with his wife at the time, uh, Danny, and um, he said he could t- see that this couple, was, was they were looking at him, and he could tell that they were trying to work up the courage to come over to talk to him. And he said they kind of, you know, they were kind of like creeping over, and um, he said they, they come over, and he said all they had, they'd taken menus, and they, they asked if he would autograph their menus. And he was like, yeah. And he's like, he goes, I said, yeah, but it was the way I said, yeah. And he said, and I got, I saw them go from being excited and invigorated to come over and engage with me to literally just like deflate. And he said, he said, it hit me really hard. He said, so sat down and he goes, I signed their stuff. He goes, and they left and he goes, and I sat there at dinner and I was thinking about it hit him. I thought this was a really good statement. He said, when you, you have a, a chance when you meet someone or an opportunity to engage with some, you have a moment to make them feel good about themselves or feel bad about themselves. He said, and in that moment, I chose to make that couple feel bad. He goes, and I got up and I went over to the table and I sat down with them. And he, he said, and I apologize for making them feel bad. He said, and I sat with the table with them for a while and got to know them and talk to them and totally created that shift about how they felt about their, their you know, them meeting him and that, that engagement. And he said, he's carried that with him his whole yeah. life. And, and he does. I mean, when uh, I, I met The Rock, I mean, he used to, so Tom Kennedy, who was our assistant strength coach, uh, he was one of the strength coaches at Miami. And so whenever those guys would come, they'd always come lift in our weight room. 
and I, I got a chance to meet him, and uh, he gave me tickets, and I got to sit yeah. ringside at the WWE, and we, we, we banged weights, we, uh, we we knocked it out of the hammer incline, and he was a super nice dude. Yeah. And it was just like, I met him, I was like, oh, shit, the rock. And he, and he's, he's like, a, like, like a lot of people, like, so one of us, the, so the, Dwayne Johnson, one of our favorite topics, anytime we end up talking, right? Like, a lot of people like, they didn't know that, I don't know if you guys talk about it as much, but... Like I'm still, we talk about like yeah. I'm. Yeah, we're always like, how is he like? How the fuck how is he like, getting like, more okay, jacked so as he gets older? Literally, like pushing up on fifty now. Yeah, and looks better than he ever has. Well, in his he's black life. and Samoan, right? So pretty much, he's got super genetics because right. the Islanders are like the most ridiculous. But, genetic but for Samoan guys, it's actually t- a little tougher for them to get really lean. Yeah, and he's leaner now than he's ever been too, right? And like he found I found something. Well, I mean, I don't like people get so mad when you say like you know me like I don't it's give a fuck what blood. you take. I don't mm. give a fuck what you take. I literally I don't care what anybody takes. But the point is like even if he's taking like he's got a nice stack of GH or he's like whatever taking, you know, even still he's got to do the still diet. Do he's the still got to do the work. Yeah. He's got to do the training. That's something a lot of these motherfuckers that come online. Like there's no fat burning steroid. You know, there's you still got to do the like if there was just like shit you could take, man. Like. I am friends with tons of IFBB pros that step on the Olympia stage every year, and we talk about what goes on. They take far less than the average guy takes because they respond so well to gear. So most people think when they see pro bodybuilders, they think tons of gear. It's actually the opposite. It's a lot less than you think because they just respond so well to what they're taking. Dude, the guy that's tripping me out is that Chris uh, Bumfill, the guy that won the the, the physique. Yep. I like what I'm I, like. I trip on that dude. Just an amazing fact physique, that, like, right? how small his, his waist, waist is. Like that his, fucking, yeah, his, his waist and, is as big as like some kid named Haji. That uh, and, like, and, and, and his head and his neck, and like it's so weird. Like his proportions, his proportions are like structure, but like, it, like it's beautiful to look at. Right? Well, what's really, crazy is if he had stepped. I mean, I know he competed in physique, but if or in uh, classic, classic. But if he had stepped on as Mister Olympia, I probably would have voted. I, I would have voted. You would have been like, "That looks fucking amazing, right?" Well, like, and he could. But but here's the thing: if you had put him on stage with like Arnold, Frank Zane, and all like the people that I think have like symmetry, you know, not like when they got into like the Ronnie. But he's got he's got better legs. Monster. He's got better legs. Oh, dude, yeah. his legs are fucking huge. Yeah, they look. He looks like, great. It, he fucking he looks. But he has looked better every year while maintaining yeah. his waist. But well, he. But, I mean, how old is he? In his twenties? Yeah, he's in his he's in his fucking prime. He's in his twenties. But Jesus. that's but that's what I'm getting to. It's like so, the longevity aspect, you know, of of lifting. You know, like you take like somebody Dwayne Johnson. Yeah, I know that he's you know he's got great. He clearly he's got great genetics. But even with great genetics, he looked like a tub of shit in his fucking twenties. Yeah, he looked like a tub of shit in his twenties. Yeah. When you're supposed to be in your fucking athletic, he's better in his late forties. He's better but, pushing fifty than he's literally ever been in his life. It's fucking amazing because the guy has been an athlete his whole life. He's been yeah. a lifter his whole life. When you go back and you you look at it, yeah, if you look at his frame, his other pictures where he was skinny as fuck. His shoulders are like ninety two feet wide because right? you're so skinny. But he's got he's literally got a wide you know, bone mm-hmm. tricks. And Joe Rogan was actually talking about, and I think it's the same thing. Pictures, I don't necessarily do him justice about how big he is. Kind of like Michael Hearn, our friend yeah. Michael Hearn. Pictures don't really do him justice about how big he is a person. But Joe Rogan was talking about how Dwayne Johnson is one of the biggest, he's like, when you, he's like, when you meet him, he's like being a fucking, like, you know, redwood fucking tree. You know, he's, he's so jacked. But, uh, I just, it's, it's, you know, even the whole political thing aside, which I wasn't impressed with him coming out and endorsing Biden and shit, you know, I'm always pretty open about that stuff. But even that, the fact that he's his age now and is as popular as he is and has to travel and work and do all the stuff that he's done, that he's managed to get himself into the best shape of his life. How the fuck does he do that with, uh, with his travel schedule? 
I mean, I know he has a gym everywhere he goes. I mean, I know he does. Well, he packs up, right? He said the reason why he so started he doing Iron that was because it got too ridiculous wherever he would go to go walk into a gym because he literally couldn't work out. So the gym gets packed up and goes wherever he goes. And he has a chef. Yeah. He talks about his chef. I mean, he gets comfort. So, but he, uh, uh, so I think it was Tom Canavy told me that everywhere he flies, um, he has like a, like a step mill. Uh, in the room, like in the suite, right. wherever yep, it is, yep, yep. and he comes in. The first thing he does, is he gets on there and he does fucking like his hour of cardio, yeah. and like like the amount, like so. It's pretty funny. You always see these dudes be like, cardio burns gains, and I'm like, I don't know, dude. I know the rock fucking does. Bro, a shit I, ton of I said this. I just said this fucking years ago. Um, and there's actually been some research to come out now that shows even steady and moderate state cardio actually uh, a spike muscle protein synthesis. Yeah. So it's the opposite of burning your Well, it's just the bros being like cardio is going to kill your gains. I, but you read I that in the past. Like, I, dude, I was like, look, I, at, look at The Rock, dude. The Rock fucking, like, he hits that step mode. But even that aside, like, this is what I always thought. I think I've written this in some articles before. I was like, dude, if fucking 30 minutes of cardio is causing you to lose muscle, you got something worse going on. Fucking, <laughs> you know, you, you got, need to fucking so, train you got, so you got something else going on you need to go get seen about because if, like we're made, you know what I mean. Yeah. We're like fast, yeah. we're made yeah. to fast, to hunt, to run. Yeah, like an you know, like lift, run, bang. We're made to lift, run, bang. What's that? Lift, run, bang. Yeah, yeah right. we're back to sticking run. and sparks. Shit, yeah. sprint. Exactly. We need to change it. Yeah, lift, sprint, run, bang. The whole running could still be sprinting because I don't fucking run. I haven't run. Yeah, no, I only run when but you know that's. When I think about the same thing, like, um, um, you know, I had somebody tell me last last week, um, this girl told me, she's like, I actually stalked your, your Facebook and went back through it. She goes, and you have fucking aged in reverse. She's she's like, you look younger now than you look 10 years ago, like in your pictures. You're like, yeah, I was real big, though. Yeah, yeah. So I was, well, there was a couple of things, right? And that is, number one, when I was powerlifting, when I was stopped competing in natural feds, you know, I took quite a bit of gear. And I've always been open about that. And the other thing is I was anywhere between 275 and, you know, sometimes upwards of 290 pounds. 265, 275 was my norm. Um, but when you're when you're taking drugs like that, when you're taking anabolic steroids and androgens and stuff like that, and you're really fucking big and heavy, there's you see they can pick pick guys out in bodybuilding that, that do, that are, have that look, and I can usually spot them. It's a guy that's 22 you find out he's 22, but he's like, he's fucking 47. I, dude, I, I see this all the time, man. Like in the yeah. body and stuff, I'm like, how old's that dude? And then you're like, find out, and you're like, the guy's in his 20s. Yeah, he'd be like 22, be super jacked, and you'll find out he's 22, but he'll look like he's 37. Yeah. And when I got off androgens, you know, and um, when I got off androgens, and like even to this day, one of the cool things, even to this day, that I still like is when fucking dudes will come on my social media and accuse me of being on like fucking trend or whatever like that. And I'm like, okay, it's a compliment. It's like, but I didn't even use trend when I was fucking using drugs. So because I didn't like trend. I, I did it for eight days. I did trend for eight days. I still talk about this. It's, I talked about this pretty much most podcasts where people have asked me about drugs, but I did trend for eight days and I did trend ace. And I remember, um, I was, uh, I was playing Xbox and breathing heavy. And I was like, what the fuck? I'm breathe. I can't fucking breathe. Like, it's uh, it's, sh- it's so toxic, yeah. That it just actually, it actually has neurodegenerative yeah. properties. Ooh. So so it's so toxic that it basically fucking just poisons your aerobic system. Yeah. So like those dudes, and I, I used to see this at the gym. Uh, the the uh, when I used to train at Metrics, uh, I watched these fucking bodybuilder dudes like get done with a set, and the dude literally was walking to the uh, uh, the water fountain, which was on the other side of the gym. He stopped and had to sit on the leg press, yeah. and was like. And I thought he was fucking like uh, tapped from his set. And I was like, yeah, all right, man. He's like, no, nah, man, this fucking trend is fucking killing me. Yeah. And he like got up and I remember talking to him like, so what, what is it? He's like, 
I just, I just think it's fucking toxic. And I end up like doing, uh, you know, you get on, you look and you're like, okay, why is this doing it? And it's like the, the toxicity. Well, trend so is like, trend is the, one of the things, look, when you, you break down other steroids, trend is like the only one that's literally, it's not made for people. No, it's made for cows. It's made for cows. So what they do is they take these uh, pellets, pellets and they inject them into the skin. And what these guys do is they Feed buy it, it yeah, and they grind it up and then they turn it into an injectable. <laughs> so it's fucking, it's uh, yeah, a, a trimbalone acetate is what it's called. Trimbalone acetate. And they and, get it from uh, the phenoplex pellets, yeah. right? So, yeah. um, I never use trend. Well, and, and the real fucking uh, crazy motherfuckers were actually just getting the pellets injected underneath their skin. Yeah, and, and I, I am. Yeah. So I never. I did trend for eight days, and I remember I was. It was the Xbox thing, and I didn't. I was like, I don't, why the fucking? It's so hard to breathe. And then I was. I remember taking a shower that night. Same night, I was taking a shower that night, and I was huffing and puffing in the shower, and I was like, I. That's the fucking trend. I'm. That was it. Like I stopped it, but I never liked trend. Um, but that was the thing is like, um, I, you know, once, once I decided when I turned 40 and I retired from powerlifting, um, and I was like, man, I, I want to get in fucking shape. I want to feel good. I want to be able to sprint. You know, me and Jim Willer used to talk about this all the time too. Like Jim, once he fucking got out of powerlifting too, he's like, and got back to being athletic, right? He got back to just like, you know, it's five, three, one squat, pull, you know, just over here, press some shit and go run some hills. Mm-hmm. He's like, dude, I felt like I saw a new fucking person. Yeah. I did the same thing. I, I did. I got away from the powerlifting thing, and I said I want to do more bodybuilding type hypertrophy based stuff. And like my joints have never felt better. You know, like I said, most people when they see me, they're like, "You look younger now than you looked eight years ago." Sure. And I'm like, it's amazing how you know getting in shape, um, like literally getting in shape. Because I mean, I can do twenty fucking eighty yard sprints right now, almost full speed, and I feel great. I mean, I do cardio every day. Cardio feels good. You know, how much um, you do a day right now? And I do at least 45 every day, like mm-hmm. no matter what. I do 45 minutes of cardio every day. Come hell or high water, I'll do the 45. Do you, do you write that into your programming? Yeah, I will. Like for, for the stuff that we're doing with the group, one of the things is is I put that on any off day. I just I, – like I put a default to 30 to 45 minutes of cardio. But I let them – it's more like their discretion. So if like somebody's in a fat loss phase – you know, I'm like, okay, just make sure, you know, whatever, however you want to do it, whether you want to count it by 10,000 steps or 12,000 steps or whether you want to say I'm getting in, you know, at least 45 minutes of cardio a day. But I just get in 45 minutes of cardio a day uh, because it's a structured thing. It feels like it feels good. But the other thing is, it's like I said, I, you know, I had, uh, I get blood work done quarterly and my panels this past time were the best they've ever been in all the years that I've gotten blood work. And it was literally an emotional moment for me because like my doctor even called me. He, he was the one that called me. He's like, we will get your panels back. He's like, dude, it's fucking, and I was like, at first I was like, he goes, it's, it's the best ever. He goes, and he, we went through all the panels. He's like, man, he goes, you're crushing it right out. Whatever you're doing, just keep doing it. There, I'm telling you, man, no, as you age, you start losing that mitochondrial density and need that big aerobic base to continue. Dude, to fuck, yeah, I would really wish I could get that across to people. Oh, the magnitude oh. of having a good cardio base yeah. is so vastly important yep. for anti-aging. I really believe that. Yep. Like, I don't need a fucking study. I just know I've lived it, well, right? And, and, and I, I think that there's like a, uh, like there's a perfect dose, you know, somewhere in that like, 20 to 45 minutes is pretty good. When you're out there doing three hours, now you start getting right. Yeah, you're oxidative yeah, I, and that shit starts yeah, beating you up. Exactly. So there's like a high degree of oxidative. Yeah, so you, fuck, you know, uh, you, you know, you lift heavy weights, yep. you're dynamic. So you're, you know, max motor unit recruitment, build a large aerobic base and, and you bring know, your calories down and, and bring uh, your fucking calories. down. You don't need to eat high protein diet. And don't eat like an asshole. Yeah, dude, there's something that's another thing. There's something to be said for having, uh, you know, releasing more AMPK. Like, you know, did not like turning on mTOR all the fucking time, you know, and I still have days like today, like the only meal I've had was with you guys. 
So I still have days now. We were, uh, I, let's not, we got to break that down for our audience. Where well, we had ten eggs and a yeah. big a big salad. <laughs> <laughs> well, who are you, Elaine? You know, over there. I want a big salad. Too. Right, that's what Carter <laughs> asked for. Salad. He's like, salad. you got that big salad? You know, it's like this. <laughs> yeah, it's like in, uh, it's like a side salad. It's like in big, I know the greens, the greens. It was greens, right? Yeah, so you got that greens, but in a big bowl, right? I really did that. Yeah, yeah seriously, I'm not joking. I know, I was there. <laughs> yeah, I, know. I was like, yeah, ten egg, ten egg. I said, with the turkey omelet. I said, but can you make it with ten egg whites? And then I had the, the big bowl of greens. Yeah, yeah, the big salad, the big salad, and like, like that's the thing. It's like right now I'm doing the the lean green, like the thing, and I'm doing that for like 14 days, going into my birthday. I like doing low calorie diet challenges, and then having like landmarks. And I talked about this on Jordan Size podcast, and it's kind of how my cheat meals came into play. It was like I have. I like dieting in, in low caloric states. Number one, because I've not really noticed a drop off in performance or recovery as long as my protein is pretty high. Mm-hmm. I have just not noticed it. I, so I keep my protein high and keep sodium up, right? Like that's important. A lot of people don't think about that. Keep sodium up. It's a transport agent. You know, you you can use it for energy. So as long as my sodium is high, I'm good. If my protein's high, I'm good. And the other thing is, as long as I'm still training hard, if there's no muscle loss that happens, you're still giving your body a reason. Say, okay, listen, you need to keep on. You need to hold on to this muscle. I don't want to grow, so I don't need this big calorie surplus. So that's what kind of has, has like my whole dietary and training approach over time has been is I want to be able to enjoy like my quote unquote cheat meals or free meals or whatever. And then the rest of the time I'm hammering low calories. And, and that was a, I really believe that was a huge reason why my, my blood work came back this time. The way that it did was creating that aerobic base, um, having low calories a lot of the time, so having more periods where A and PK is higher, and um, where you're seeing that autophagy, a degree of autophagy with both the training and well, the fasting. Uh, yeah, so so uh, the greatest amount of autophagy comes from exercise. 100%. So like, I always laugh when people are like, oh, I'm uh, fasting for autophagy, and I'm like... In, for our listeners... Can you explain what autophagy is? So that's uh, uh, clearing a metabolic garbage. Okay. So you're it's like, like when it's when your healthy cells will go clean up the dysfunctional yeah. or dead cells, and they'll actually basically it's like they use them for spare yeah. spare parts. So so they found like uh, you know yes, fasting does cause autophagy, uh, and uh, as a result, you know you got autophagy. Obviously, you know clearing a metabolic garbage in the deal, and. Uh, like the problem is, is they were relating a lot of like rat studies and different stuff for autophagy for fasting. And the problem though, is when they, you know, like the, there's issues with that. And it's like, okay, so, you know, fasting can cause that, but the greatest autophagy they found came from lifting weights and training and exercise. So if you were, yeah, for, for banging heavy weights and going in and busting your ass, much greater form of autophagy. So the idea that people are starving themselves for autophagy when they could just eat and, and then train and bust their ass. So, I mean, I think training, there's some benefits maybe to training in a little bit of a metabolic state, but all the research that they, that uh, I've looked at and has been coming out talks about um, like there's really no difference from fasted and unfasted cardio. So the idea like the bodybuilder thing where you got to get up in the morning and do your fasted cardio because it burns fat, uh, it, it like there was no real proof of that. That's just kind of more anecdotal uh, kind of bro science. So the research doesn't support it. I think what it comes down to is are you doing it? Yeah. becomes the better question and the yes or no, how, you know, how can you put it in personally? Like what I like to do is wake up at six and before we go to the gym at seven, I get on the bike and I'll try to get my stuff in. If I don't get it in, I get it in after. And if I don't get it in after I get it in later in the day. So I think it really just comes down to how you're doing it. And, uh, you know, so 
Yeah, but I mean, he's definitely making sense. I mean, he, you know, there there's something to really focusing, and I think when you're younger, there's this idea that you know, oh, you know, aerobic base and cardio and all that shit's going to kill my gains. But you're starting to see, you know, guys like Paul, and we've been talking about for a number of years where it is a legitimate, legitimate component to this thing. And uh, when we did that 22 Jack Street, that was that was what oh, really sold yeah. me. Because I PR'd all my lifts. Like, I was kind of doing, like, um, so we, we did this thing, 22 Jack Street, which was actually started Jack Street. And on the program, I was doing kind of, like, uh, kind of a modified, maybe, like, I was using some of, like, uh, um, John Meadows stuff with, like, you know, I'm going to train hamstrings before everything. And mm-hmm. I was kind of using yeah, some of that, that stuff. And I still do it. Yeah. Uh, but we, I was kind of doing some, like, max rep sets at the end of every barbell movement to try to see, like, hey, like, uh, I'm going to pick this weight. I'm just going to do max reps. And uh, all of a sudden, I remember we were down at the gym, and I pulled, like, 585 for, like, a set of 13 off the floor. And Nate was like, what the fuck? And I was like, dude, I, I, like, I've been in a caloric restriction. I've been eating a high-protein diet, uh, and I've been doing, like, 45 minutes of cardio a day. And I was actually the lightest I'd ever been. And I was fucking PRing every single lift I had. And I was like, huh. You know, that's another thing people ask me about. Because I've been doing this for quite a while now, probably six months, where you're going to say super low calorically. And then and just you post your cheat meals. Yeah. And so people will be like, do you have like these, these incredible trends? I have found no correlation for me between like my cheat meals and then having like amazing training sessions the next day. Like, like it, I just, I can often have, usually the day before or the day of the cheat meal, I, I have a, a little bit of a dip in energy because I've been super low. But I've actually found it to happen for days after. It's not immediate. So what, uh, when you say low, like how many calories per pound of body weight? Like, um, like my six, usual intake seven? is between, um, yeah, it's like seven. It's between like 1,600, 1,700, 1,800. And you're what, there. 240? Yeah. So. Like, like usually in the morning, uh, my weight really does crazy stuff. But you, most of the time in the morning, I'm around 238, 240. In the morning, but then like on. Well, how tall are you, bro? Yeah, exactly. That's my other favorite like one. All the ones. All the time. How tall are you, how bro? How tall are you, and what do you weigh? And then they'll do. What do you estimate? You know, your body nobody weight? asked me that question. How right. like how tall you are? Because <laughs> you want to answer. So fucking <laughs> no, I, I, I like no. It's on Wikipedia, but it's funny. I like uh, like all the time in your comments, we're like, how tall are you, bro? I'm like nobody. They always want to. How tall are you? How what do you weigh? What do you estimate your body fat percentage to be at? And I'm like, bro, I like I'm five eleven. I'm I'm I don't like, I'm probably between two thirty eight. 42 I don't know like I don't know like some in single digits you know somewhere but um so yeah that's like the constant like the, the measuring you up right because they they want to do the measuring that's bro. what guys do they don't want to fucking admit that that's what they're doing is like they're doing the measure the dick measuring thing measuring you up I've never asked a dude how tall he is and what he fucking weighs or like you know what's his favorite drink if he likes long watching walks on the beach <laughs> what color his fucking eyeballs are uh. It's good, yeah. I, you know. Yeah, the uh, yeah that that just makes me laugh. That like so uh, that everyone wants to tell you are. But okay, so your your calories are super low. Yeah. Um, you know the uh, the age old idea that like you can somehow like starve away your muscle and all that. But I mean, we, we've talked about glycogen replenishment. Well, not just that. And I think as long as you're training really hard still. Um, and you, you hit on that earlier. So it's like you're creating a high degree of oxidative stress. Mm-hmm. You're training really hard for 40 minutes, four days a week. You don't need that much. And then like, I, I totally agree with, I think having that big, a little bit bigger base of aerobic capacity. Do you, do, do you think it's a little bit like, I was kind of thinking like this. I remember when I was pretty young, 
we used to legitimately bang for like easily 90, 120 minutes. Like it was like two hours every day. And then I, I got to the point where I was like, you know what? Like, fuck that. I'm not going to take rest. And so I push all the rest sets and I try to finish everything in like 60, 70 minutes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I always wonder if like, as you get older, you become more efficient and maybe you're like, fuck, like I don't need to fucking bang it for two fucking hours. I don't have the time to do it. I don't think anybody needs to anyway. I think that we can do that when we're younger. Um, for a multitude of reasons, especially we used to hit like 30, 40 sets. Like, like, yeah, it, it was fucking insane. Yeah. Like your recovery. So there's a couple of things I think that happened there. Number one is that, um, I, there's a study that looked at the recovery rates of, of people and it's been, been proven that the older you get, the harder it is to recover. You start losing fast twitch, mu- twitch muscle in your mid twenties, right? I think by a couple of a percent or two well, a year. Uh, they say that it starts to deteriorate, but they've never tested it with, or they've had, uh, they've never tested somebody that's lifted heavy weights and yeah. been dynamic over the course of time. So they're looking like when they look at tests, they're like they're dealing with like relatively unadapted people. Yeah, and so I don't what, think anybody lifting has to worry about stuff like sarcoma. No, no, like, 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 I mean, that's like the opposite. But like the only dude who's probably more jacked than the rock at fucking fifty is uh, Michael Hearn. Yeah, Michael. And Michael, Michael Hearn looks better in his fifties than he did in his. 30s yeah. and his 40s. All right, at least every bit is good, right? I so, mean, I, like, I don't know, know how much uh, uh, face work The Rock has had done, but I'm pretty sure Michael Hearn, like, Mike, he's, Mike's, he's, yeah, Mike's had some face of the move. And I love Mike. He's an no, he's actually like, an amazing human being. Dude, he looks fucking great. He looks like he's chill. I mean, like, right. he, he, like, laughs and has no emotion. Like, there's probably a lot of Botox in there, but you know, he looks great, so fucking cares. Well, Mike is really good on laughing at his own shit, right? Like, he doesn't take himself that seriously. <laughs> what, was, what was his gladiator name? Uh, Nitro. Blazer. Oh, Blazer, Taser, Nitro, uh, uh, Diamond, uh, like all these other stripper names. Well, I thought it was just Titan, wasn't it? That's yeah, he was Titan. Oh, that's, yeah, I think it's right. Titan. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I just... Because um, he still refers to himself as the Titan. Yes, the Titan. Um, he's Titan me. meal plans. Right. Yeah. Titan everything. Yeah. and uh, But, no, I, getting back to that, I think, well, there's a couple of things. Number one... I actually had this talk yesterday with a bunch of people in the yoga squad and we were talking about rest periods. And so they're used to, we've had a multitude of studies done now that look at rest periods between sets. And from a hypertrophy, hypertrophy perspective, you want to rest at least three minutes between sets. And then somebody asked me why that is. So the, what we kind of understand is like there, I had some things wrong backwards for a few years. And number one was that, it was harder for us to essentially recover from nervous system fatigue than it was from localized or peripheral muscular damage or fatigue. Um, basically like muscle damage, not as much like you wouldn't classify it as fatigue, but really on average from what we've seen um, in research is that muscle damage is, it takes longer to recover from the nervous system fatigue. Mm-hmm. So we see more nervous system fatigue in runners and endurance athletes than anyone else. Okay. So that should tell you lifting heavy weights for moderate reps, really not super taxing unless you're trying to cram in a lot of work in a short period of time. So the reason why that resting longer periods, three minutes, four minutes, five minutes between sets that are taken to failure are very close to failure is because it allows the nervous system to recover. Like you, you do get localized peripheral recovery too, right? But it allows the nervous system to recover. And then, so the reason why that's important from a hypertrophy perspective is because the nervous system is what sends the signals to the motor neurons that sends the signals to the high threshold motor units that activates the bundles of muscle fibers, right? 
So as the muscle, as the nervous system becomes fatigued, it can't send as strong as signals to, from the neurons to the high-threshold motor units. You will activate fewer and fewer muscle fibers within the set. So that's why when people are like 60 seconds between um, sets or 90 seconds from sets, from a hypertrophy perspective, we consistently have seen for a very long time that longer rest periods are way more productive at producing muscle growth, mm-hmm. right? But, and that's the reason why is because you're going to activate more you're going to have activate more high, high threshold motor units, which is going to activate more muscle fibers in the set. So you're taxing a greater amount of muscle fibers within the set because you're allowing the nervous system to recover to be able to do that function. There. So that is the whole like trying to cram in a lot of uh, a lot of um, a lot of work in, in like a short period. My ideology, what has happened is that it's, it's kind of come full circle back to. When I first got involved in lifting and Yates and Mentor and all that, that, that was that was really where I learned what I felt like good training looked like, where smart training looked like, is that we want to achieve the greatest amount of stimulus within the set, within the workout that'll drive um, the adaptation process for the, and you want that muscle remodeling to happen in the recovery phase, right? So training itself is catabolic, recovery is anabolic, so. That's why I said, like, probably when you look at it from that perspective, if you're training really, really hard for 45 minutes to an hour, you probably don't need to train more than four days a week in order to maximize that effect. Even, like, at a younger age, I remember even back then when Dorian Yates was still in his prime, when he would, the way he was training, uh, he said he just couldn't recover for more yeah. than four days a week. And sometimes he would even take a day off, so he would be training three days a week. And a lot, the guys that I've taken, you know, through these last seven months through the yoke squad, I've got guys that have been training for a decade that have, you know, in a, in a couple of training cycles have put on six or seven new pounds of muscle. And they're like, like enough to where their wife joined the Valkyrie because they're like, I saw the fucking progress my husband made, which I've never seen before. I was like, this guy's got to know what he's doing. And it's just an effect of I'm not overworking these people. Sure. You want to create the maximum degree of stimulus and then make sure so you have the, the stimulus right and then you have the recovery so if your stimulus is overrunning your recovery nothing happens sure. there's no adaptation that takes place so there's got to be that gap in there between the stimulus and the recovery for trainability right that's the gap that exists in between there so it's like however from a one to five like the stimulus is like a seven doesn't mean that you're not training hard it just means like that seven you have to have an eight or, or nine or ten the recovery in order for that that remodeling to take place. Whereas most guys, when they're training, they consistently think about how do I train more? How do I train more days a week? How do I do whatever? Rather than thinking about how do I recover better? Mm-hmm. And that is like the be- that's the best way to think of it. Is like, how do I recover better? Like, added than how do I make training more efficient? How do I recover better? And once you kind of figure out that synergy, you would be like shocked at the kind of progress that you can make from a hypertrophy standpoint. But most people don't approach it, approach it from that methodology of thinking. How are, you, how are you communicating that remotely? Because it's easy to just tell these guys, but how are you showing them the value and putting them in a position virtually to, to see these, this progress? That's kind of taken care of itself as they stayed in the group and in the program. And the way that I take them through this, this pretty, this week is a pretty good indicator. So we still, I still like to use a lot of performance metrics. So, you know, progressive overload is not happening. Then, you know, there's no reason for adaptation to be taking place a lot of the times, 
There's also the argument to be made for chasing fatigue, which is a different discussion. But the way that I sell them on that is just through them breaking new rep PRs, age training cycle, through seeing new muscle growth that they, they didn't feel like they could ever see before. Um, and it's like this week, the way that I structure the training is that we go really hard in the paint the last couple of weeks in a meso cycle. And then going into the next one, there's always an acclimation phase where they, we, a lot of people think of it as a deload or something. But we focus on how these movements need to be performed from an execution standpoint. And without fail, and this has been pretty good, is like we see most guys start hitting that wall pretty hard the last week or two of a training cycle where they're, they either mentally, emotionally, you can see they've got to really get up for a session or they're, they're starting to hit a wall and not break last week's reps. And then when I give them that, they get into that acclimation phase and they really allow themselves to rest that first week where we start going back to failure again, they just crush everything they were doing before. So it's like you create all the, the adaptions on that back end and then that last bit of rest that it's happens. It's super compensation. It's, it's a bit of super compensation yeah. there. Like, like what you're doing is you're digging them in a big hole and then you kind of ease the reins off and then you kind of let them hit. It's but I don't, I don't do it with volume because volume is the most inefficient way to do that. Well, volume is the hardest to recover from. And we we found okay. That. I'm glad that you said that because I've made this fucking argument. No, forever. you can recover. You can recover at like uh, so. What I'll, I'll just give you an example. Uh, we had a program that was called the Bulgarian Power Athlete. Yeah, and uh, it was based off of a talk that Abijayev gave at like a high school football deal, and he wrote out this program that he would say based on the Bulgarian, this is how I would train football players. So somebody sent me the uh, presentation, and I took the program, and I adapted it over for Power Athlete. It was called the Bulgarian Power Athlete. So we did this program. Uh, I squatted somewhere between 500 and 550 for anywhere from a single, double, and triple for 18 days in a row. Right? Uh, and it was like, it, as long as the weight was moving fast, like the minute it started to grind, I fucking would dump it and be done. Like if I got underneath the weight and I was hitting singles or whatever it called for that day, as long as the weight was moving fast, I kept going up. The minute it slowed, I put the weight away. And um, I was like literally like fucking exploding these weights up. And uh, I squatted like 550 to six, where it was like 500 to 550 um, for 18 days in a row. And I was fine. All of a sudden we came back and we did like, we, we got done, we took a days off. Uh, I came back and squatted a set of 10 with like 500. I was wrecked for like fucking like six or seven days. Right. Like it was just like, and then I got into it and realized that like Olympic lifters and eccentric loads, like if you squat heavy right. and you do singles and kind of lower reps and as long as it's moving fast and it's not taxing your nervous system, where you start getting smashed is when you start fucking hitting a bunch of heavy volume with a bunch of eccentric loads. And all of a sudden that's yeah, just there's, the hard There's two cover. factors in there when you're, when you're going into like a stretch, a loaded stretch component, right? There's a lot of mechanical damage that happens yeah. at the local peripheral level. And that's hard to recover from. Yeah. And then the, the component on top of that is doing what we, what I talked about earlier. It's like in urine training is where we see the greatest amount of central nervous system fatigue. Well, from a parallel perspective, where we would see that in the weight room is doing a lot of volume. Sure. So this is kind of this stimulus to fatigue ratio bullshit that kind of makes the rounds right now. I don't know if you've heard. It's, it's basically the idea that not training to failure, like staying really far away from failure, uh, is just as good as training to failure. Uh, I disagree. Yeah, I trust me. I, I, I disagree. Have to fucking hear this you, shit every day. You like uh, the and it all started. I think it fucking started a little bit with Jim uh, and it's whole like leave a few reps in the tank. 
you know, like with the uh, with this five three one. Five three one. It was the first time I had ever heard that. Be like, oh, you know, like uh, um, uh, like leave a few reps in the tank. Leave a few reps in the tank. Right. And I think that they took this idea of like, hey, you know what? Like we're doing this basic linear progression and like how it's all done. But they kind of took it to this idea of like we're going to leave a few. Well, reps that's in the okay, tank. but that's okay for what I consider like strength training, right? Because yeah. you can, if you're moving a weight explosively, you activate a lot of high threshold motor units, right? Yeah. But as long as you're not getting close to failure, you don't create that high degree of intramuscular force, but right? If you look at like Metzner and you look at Yates, right? To failure and then force reps eccentric negatives, right? Like his one rep to fail. Like I, I remember when I originally read Dory Yates, I'm like one set to failure, right? He didn't talk about the fact that the guy had fucking ten sets building up to it, and then had this one massive set, you know, would fail and they would pull him up and he would fight for negatives right. and they would fucking just go to like complete fucking exhaustion or uh, yeah, uh, I'll, uh, I'll mechanical failure, right. and like uh, you know, and then you're like, wait a minute, that dude's training four days a week. And right, like, fuck it. And he's like, I needed to because I the 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 final sets were so intense that I needed that recovery. Yeah, and and so the idea behind it just makes this me think that everybody's going to jump. Yeah, the it's idea. Right, the idea behind this methodology is that you're going to get the same amount or close to the same amount of stimulus by leaving two RIR as you would by training completely failure. However, it's not as taxing from a recovery perspective. But what we really see, if you want to look, like I said, look at what's taxing from a nervous system perspective, is doing a lot of work because your nervous system still has to fire, has to fire, right, to make everything move. So the more that it has to do that, the more fatigue it's going to incur. So we're, we're, we're basically creating this high degree of nervous system fatigue by doing all this enormous volume. But yet we're not, we have to do, if you look at the um, effective reps model where it's basically going to failure, if you go to failure, you're gonna you can guess there's gonna be somewhere between Chris Beards like to say there's five reps. If you go to complete failure, there's five reps in there that contribute towards the, the stimulus, right? Towards hypertrophy stimulus. So if you do eight rep max, then you do eight reps, there's five reps in there that go towards the stimulus to growth. If you do ten reps, there's five reps in there. It doesn't matter. It's the last five reps going to failure. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So if you do four sets and you're leaving Two reps in reserve, like right. That means three, six, nine, twelve. There's twelve reps of basically that go towards effective growth stimulus. You can do two sets of eight to failure, and you've got ten reps. But you didn't. You so it's almost the same amount of growth stimulus done in half the amount of work. Well, I think a lot of people are. Uh, it's pretty interesting. Like uh, I think with uh, upper body stuff, it's easier to go to failure. Because you could dump dumbbells, you can dump this, but all of a sudden you start getting under a heavy back squat, and you got to make sure you got fucking training partners there. Like if I'm going to go, like, well, that's a, I would never advise somebody taking a squat. Like that's a, a mechanics issue too, because it's there's form failure, right? Like depending on like a squat where you have to have a, a high degree of internal bracing, right? Yeah. Like so, in order to hold basically the joint components in place, in order to move mechanically in the right positions to load the right tissue. So I wouldn't advise, I would never advise, say there's form failure when what happens is 
that the tissue that you're trying to maximally load or bias, when it starts to become incredibly fatigued, your body is really good at compensating. So it's sure. going to say, oh, yeah. it's going to say, let me get something else doing some work so that's here. Why, like, you're really fucking tired. Like, like a leg press almost. Right. So well, with a leg press, right. So a lot of people, they don't understand, like this is a good conversation. It's like a lot of people don't understand when I, I start talking about good hypertrophy movements, they get fucking mad because they're like, what do you mean? Don't fuck front squat. What do you mean? I'm like, okay, so with a good hypertrophy movement, we want to high degree of bracing so that we can get set up and lock ourselves in and just fucking go to town and we don't have to worry about those mechanical breakdowns. That's why a leg press or like a hack squat or those kind of things are better selections from a hypertrophy standpoint than most especially like a squat or I'm sorry, a front squat. A zercher squat is fucking dog shit for hypertrophy. But a front squat, a front squat, but then a back squat and so, so then from a back squat, I would prefer like a safety bar squat. Yeah. And the reason why I would prefer a safety bar squat, people are like, well, you prefer a safety bar squat. And I'm like, well, the reason why I prefer a safety bar squat is because the load is dispersed across a better, uh, a, a broader range of your upper back. So there's better bracing. There's better stability, right? You're not, you're not centralizing that load with like a barbell across that one area on your mm-hmm. spine and the axial load, right? But with the safety bar, we get to spread that load and disperse out over a better, a larger degree of musculature. So when we do that, we get a we get a better stability component. Mm-hmm. So the higher the degree of stability that we can provide, the higher degree of output that we can achieve for the muscles that we're trying to train. So when you get like locked in properly to like say a hack squat, you don't have to worry about something breaking down. You just fucking go to town and go to work, right? So you're maximally stimulating the tissue that you're trying to train. When I lock you into a leg press, you know, it's funny, you being an NFL guy, like leg presses were never shit on in the NFL. Like lots of guys in the NFL use uh, leg presses, right? Yeah, uh, a lot of guys, but I just figured because they were lazy. Yeah. Uh, well, from a hypertrophy standpoint, I lock you into a fucking leg press, man. Yeah, I can grow some I, big ass fucking legs on you. <laughs> I get that. Uh, but I, I kind of always looked at like the leg press kind of like dessert. Like I've always been like a. Uh, a fan like if uh, like you don't earn your dessert unless you eat your dinner. So like I always thought like the you know the barbell back squat, especially for challenging posture position, that movement was so important for trunk and that's stability. like totally from and an athletic per- yeah. perspective. So that's, well, for that's also a- for like hip flexibility. So the thing that I didn't like about the leg press was that it never did anything to develop that strength and that flexibility in my hips. That's why I do RDL. Yeah, well, like I already well, <laughs> know, but like that ability to sit like. Like, uh, uh, Texas to this, like, I don't have a ton of range of motion in my right knee and I can squat below parallel. Right. And it was funny because Xanis was like, let me see how fucked up your knee is. And he's like, Jesus, how, how, how do you do that? And then he checked me. He's like, dude, your hip flexibility is incredible. I'm like, well, yeah, how do you think I fucking got there? Right. Because I've been fighting for this. Right. Thing. So you had like, right. So that's the thing about like running out of room or having better. So you don't like your knee, your hip can compensate for your knee movement. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, but getting, getting back to that. So this is where the discussion gets disconnected at times where it's like pure power lifting guys or strength guys or athletic guys come on like to my social media. Then you start training and market and like listening guys, I'm not talking about those things. Those are functional components that you can use those movements for if you're talking like that 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 dipshit like athlete next guy that Jeff Cavalier or whatever yeah, the, guy does, the guy does the dumbest he's, fucking He's got shit. the weirdest Adam's apple. He, dude, he's got this like long neck with this huge I don't know I like I had 20 million followers he, he does a, pretty I much mean, everything he, he does how big is that dude you think he's he like is he's like 165 yeah he's now. fucking skinny he's fucking tiny you see his fucking heartbeat through yeah. <laughs> I remember so, Luke, Luke got all like uh, 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 starry eyed on that dude and I'm like Luke you realize this guy like this fucking like I don't know what the fuck this I guy's a t-shirt on him can't ever tell he's picked up a weight in his life oh, but even at that like he does a lot of shit wrong but here's what I was getting at with that like so guys get really fucking they don't, they get that dis- disconnect. And I'm like, listen, 
I don't want. I don't for training for hypertrophy. I don't want to disperse mechanical tension across fucking eight, 18 different muscles. That's why the deadlift is not a good hypertrophy. People are like fucking deadlift full five. Like that's the reason why it's so, not good. So what day do you deadlift? Yeah, like <laughs> so. I love Romanians, right? So I can. So this is our my, standard joke because. I, I, uh, uh, like, uh, like uh, Paul's not a fan of deadlifting. I fucking hate it. And so these people like, uh, like will comment, and be like, like ask you a question with the deadlift. It's like I fucking hate the deadlift. I fucking deadlift. Fucking it's so weird, you know. And I'm like, uh, so what day do we deadlift? Is that on back day or is that on chest day? Like just. But this is. is but trouble? here's this. So if I want a good hypertrophy movement, I want to be able to have as much concentrated mechanical tension on just the tissue that I am training. This is the disconnect that happens with guys who are training for like movement or or athletes or like for like powerlifting or anything like that. I'm like, guys, it's a totally different yeah. modality that we want to apply. So I'm like, so that's why, like, you know, if I want to train the, the well, quads, and the when show, the dudes walk out on the Mister Olympia, they're not asking like like nobody's talking to them about their training. The problem is you know? that <laughs> too many guys they don't understand what their real goals are, right? So it's like I think it was Lane Nord fucking said one time, and he was. It, even did bodybuilding. He's like, we don't, we don't train muscles. We train movements. I'm like, no, you stupid motherfucker. You, if you're training, training whoa, to whoa, grow. Whoa, whoa. Lane Norton knows everything. Yeah, I just ask him. Yeah, play. and I know Lane. Like in, in person, like <laughs> just we ask him. He That's knows one of everything. the dumbest fucking things I ever heard. Like you don't train movements. You act. You use movements appropriately to train the tissue. So when you're training for hypertrophy, you, if you're powerlifting, sure you train movements. If you're training to be a strength, like a strength athlete or like a strongman or whatever, yes, you train fucking movements or a power. Yeah, or a power athlete. Or like what but the point is hypertrophy training is so different than all of those. The approach is so different. I don't want to, I don't want big barbell movements. Like for example, like the the fucking guys, somebody ended up tagging those uh, those dipshits from fucking mind pump on one of my posts and they all come in here and tell me how stupid I was like, you guys can't explain like how do you I was like I asked I asked them, they didn't know what I was fucking I said, How are you going to train the iliac division of your lats with a barbell? They avoided the question. They wouldn't answer it because they don't fucking know how. Well, it's kind of like, uh, you know, if you're going to train your back, I mean, dude, there's like obviously barbell movements, but you have to use unilateral fucking cable movements. You, uh, like, you, it, it, like, it's, like there has to be like a seated row. Like, like if you look at like, uh, I mean, let's just use Arnold, for example. He did barbell rows. He did seated rows. He did single arm rows. He did pull downs. He did pull ups. I mean, you have to fucking train everything. Well, even then, like, right, like they don't, when I, when I talk about that, like, the barbell is so limited from a, a hypertrophy standpoint, and that freaks people out when I say that because they've been they've been fed so long. Well, think about every uh, every bodybuilder that I've ever trained with. Uh, you have a fuck ton of dumbbells, dumbbells. machines. Well, it was a fuck ton of dumbbells for the chest. Like uh, I, I don't even remember doing uh, the bodybuilder dudes I trained with back in Orange County. It was like. Fucking ten sets of ten of fucking uh, just dumbbells, heavy, yeah, heavier yeah, dumbbells, and they would play. They'd be like flat decline, slight decline, one click up, two clicks up, elevate this, and play. Well, the, the, okay, so the pecs are converging yeah. muscles, right? They're converging muscles. They they do basically horizontal humeral, you know, adduction. So when you're locked into, you will still get if you're locked into a barbell and you're doing an incline or flat bench or whatever you're doing, you're still get a degree. You, you can barely see it, like, but even though the, the hands are locked in, somebody will be like, well, how can you get? You'll still see, because as you're pressing and the pecs shorten, it tries to pull. Like, there's no way around it. It can't not happen. You know, they originate on either the sternum or the clavicular, you know, the clavicle, and then come out and they, they insert on the humerus. So when you're pressing like that, as they shorten, they have to do a certain degree of humeral adduction. So, but the, the fact is, if we want to really load something like a pec that's a converging muscle, right, and it pulls the, you know, the arm across the body, 
Well, then what's a really efficient way to load those fibers like that? Well, it's not with a fucking barbell. It's not with a fucking barbell that has a, that where the resistance drops a mid-range movement where the resistance drops off at the top. And then we can't fully load those fibers in the short position, right? Like that. So it's, those are like really inefficient methods. And that's why I say it comes back to, you can get away with a really low degree of volume and get a, a lot out of just a few sets of yeah. failure if you're using good movements that tax that tissue properly. Mm-hmm. And the real disconnect that happens with a lot of guys is, is people use poor movement selection in the yeah. way they make up and then, and then with jump Poor volume. movement selection and, and then, then all volume. Yeah. So a really great example of that was a guy here. Um, there was a men's, a really popular men's physique competitor here named AJ Ellison. He, he has no lats. And he was constantly bitching on his things like, I don't have any lats. And he was, he was doing a fuck ton of volume for his back. But it was all basically upper back movements because he was doing lat pull-downs the way that you really do them to hit the upper back. And he was doing like every movement he was doing that he thinks is lats was actually upper back movements. I literally ended up DMing him one day. I was like, dude, the reason why you don't have any fucking lats is because you don't train them. Like your lats aren't going to grow. And then a lot of times, here's the other disconnect that happens with the volume thing is that because guys do a ton of volume, well, when you do a ton of volume, something's going to get stimulated. Some muscularly will get stimulated. So some growth happens. So like, that's what I was missing. I'm like, no, okay, dude, fucking no, that is, it's not, it's like the, it's the cause and effect thing, right? It's not always applicable. So it's like, if I, if I'm doing a really good movement that fits my structure, the way that I move and I'm really performing it and executing it in a way that really targets that tissue, and then I load that tissue mechanically by training to close like either two failure or really right on top of failure. Then that tissue, right, the mechanical receptors inside the fibers, there's like, okay, well, there's mechanical tension there. Let's kick off mechanical transduction and cause growth. So that big barbell movements, think about it this way, that spread that tension across a, a lot of different muscles. There's no one area that's really getting concentrated mechanical tension, or there might be one area that's getting a little bit, but there's a high degree of synergy. But if you want to have concentrated mechanical tissue to get this tissue to grow, then that's not the way you want to train it. So when I, it's a hard thing to get across all of this in a fucking Instagram post. But if I sit down and I'm with somebody in the gym and I explain these concepts or like this, I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. That makes sense. Because when you start looking at the orientation of fibers and then what they do, it really comes down to the, to the quality of the work. Like, like that's something like I, we, we think about, um, you know, from uh, like the French contrast stuff. I remember like uh, Cal talking about like uh, um, tissue quality and uh-huh. like, uh, you know, picking quality movements that, you know, everybody's going to do the movements, but are the movements that you're selecting in the way that you're doing them? And some of like, you know, the cross patterning we do with the PAP, you know, like, hey, if, if you're going to do this, you're going to do this and the way we kind of work through these different movements. But using and selecting movements that um, reap the greatest reward, like the, uh, you know, single leg, active leg or, uh, you know, uh, active foot, single leg Bulgarian split squats that we were doing, you know, the half fields. Um, uh, like a movement like that where the knee's getting a ton over the toe and it's hitting everything that you want, like... He was looking at it like, what movement allows me to get like the greatest, uh, you know, inve- or the greatest return on my greatest or on the investment. And so I think we get stuck in this idea of like, these might not be the best movements, but if I just throw enough reps at it, eventually it'll get me where I want instead of being smarter in the exercise selection. So it's something I think about for our programs all the time. I'm like, uh, like it's, and, and then you, you've dealt with this too, especially on, on your yoke squad. It's like. If, if I was there training with every single person, 
their results would be dramatically better because of the quality in which I would ask them to do the movement. 100%. And I, cause I watch the videos and I, I give people like, you know, hundreds of feedback things a day. Like I, um, like a guy hit me up the other day, posted his squat. He's like, what do you think? I'm like carrying to the, uh, the bar way too high on your back. So, so at the bottom of the squat, it was fucking tacoing him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, film another one, but I want you to put the bar at the base of your traps. It's going to be more of your center of gravity. And you're going to be able to sit into that squat better. Sends me another one fucking night and day better. And he's like, fuck, I've been squatting like this for years. Why didn't anybody ever tell me? And I'm like, I don't know. Have you been training by yourself? Yeah. Is this and, the and first see, video you said? Exactly. And so when I, when I, like, I'll use the squat really now for like quad bias, like, like movement. So when, well, what about all like the booty stuff? Like all your booty blaster things? Dude, like, I all the stupid fucking, thing. I don't use like my, my no, I, I, I just laugh when dude, you posted that thing of all the ridiculous. Work, I saw number one. I love doing blue work now. Fucking love it. It's like one of the most fun. It's, it's almost like, um, you spend all these years working on your muscles and then like as guys, like we don't really do like glute work. And then after I really started getting into glute work, I was like, damn, there's a whole fucking big giant muscle back there that I can work that I haven't been doing anything with. And then you realize as you get it strong, you're like, man, my hips feel better. I move better. All this kind of stuff because your glutes are the biggest fucking muscles in your body. And you know, they basically move your legs and shit around. So, you know, I mean, you're, you're like, wow, I, I move better. I feel better. My hips feel better. And then I was like, wow. And I can actually, your glutes, because they're so fucking big, can use, they can move a lot of weight. So, like, now I'm doing glute bridges like 550 pounds of reps. And um, Is it the same day you deadlift? I'll do, I guess, actually. He actually supersets the deadlifts. Actually, dude, yeah. But did you have yeah. big super I do fucking, <laughs> I, I, do, I still, I do, I, that's a, you know, I do tons of trap bar deadlifts and Romanian yeah. deadlifts now. I love it. You know, I bought that prime bar. I got that prime bar. It's also awesome. Yeah, that, yeah right? we, we like it. We, we had another How bar. fucking good is that thing? Uh, it's nice. Functional. Yeah, yeah step ups. Yeah, the fact that you can adjust the handle height. Yeah, it's nice. I, I like, I, we, we had one trap bar that I didn't really like. And this, uh, dude, I, I like it. And uh, like, so the other day, my wife was like, hey, um, how, how are you having me do those loaded jumps? I was like, with the trap bar. So she was sending me videos of her doing like trap bar uh, jumps with it, like the loaded jumps. And like, it looked so much better than the other ones did. So well, that's okay. Nice. So that's the thing. So like when my quote unquote booty stuff is so. Um, do, you, do you put like a peach emoji when you do the booty I stuff? I don't. Um, okay. Um, I will say I'm that I feel very blessed that I have like a whole group of, of fucking nothing but women that are out there just trying to build big wrestling. And it's a blessing. Good God. You're like, I'm doing God's work. I am doing I'm God's doing work. I'm doing God's work. <laughs> just but, building a great ass. Actually, you got a great ass and your head's all the way yeah, up it. Yeah. I, I kicked off the doctor. They were all like just here trying to get that Paul Carter, Paul Carter ass. And I thought it was like the best cop. Got them apple bottom jeans. Right. So... Um, really like I don't squat I can use the leg press a lot and set up appropriately you know to, to bias the glutes in that length and position we do a lot of glute bridges we do 45 degree glute raises um, we do a lot of Romanians we do um, a lot of trap bar it's my, bread, it's my bread and butter's here deal. yeah dude and so the thing is is that where most of these so I took my ex-girlfriend she you know like a couple months ago she's like will you help me she, she when we were dating we dated for three years and um, she's an amazing chick and we're still on good terms. And um, she's like, she's always struggled. And I was like, if you'll just let me work with you for a little while, do what I, I, I tell you to do. Because she'd be in the gym three times a week for an hour and a half each session doing all these stupid ass fucking booty exercises. And she would always, she's like, my butt won't grow. I, uh, well, hold on, uh, hold well, on. So well, I, well, I, well, I we know how her. bad the booty exercises are. I, I do enjoy watching them on Instagram with these girls like in like the adductor, it, it inductor makes machines. Fucking crazy. So I sat down, we went through, I think, three different sessions together where I was like, here's the exercise she's going to do. And she texted me um, four weeks later, 
like a, a picture of her butt in like you know yoga pants. She's like, "Is this really my fucking butt?" And like she really had good glutes, and it took a month. And she she's like, "I can't believe how like she's like I'm in and out of the gym in forty minutes. I do like the three maybe four exercises that you know like you show like rotate through a couple workouts." She's like, "My glutes have never grown this fast." And she was doing so much because here's the thing: she wasn't actually training that tissue. She's probably training her piriformis. And, you know, she was doing a lot of the fucking band stuff. She wasn't training the failure. She wasn't training hard. Because, like, when we got done the first day, first workout, and she's, she was a college uh, basketball player. She's been an athlete her whole life. She was nauseous. She's like, I thought I'm going to throw up. Which I've never felt like. We did three exercises. And she's like, but the cool thing is, she goes, my body doesn't hurt. She goes, before when I would do a lot of heavy stuff, like heavy, like hip thrusts, where she's like, my back would hurt, whatever. But I, the way I'd have her set up, she's like, it, my butt just feels like, like fatigue. Is that say Funfetti over there? Pillsbury Funfetti complete? Yeah, man, those are some fucking badass pancakes. <laughs> so like, I've been like on a pancake like kick. I know you guys have seen that, right? No, I, I've never even heard of Funfetti. Funfetti fucking Yeah, you can like if you can you can smell this dude. I can't. It'll fucking basically gluten bomb me. I'll be dead. I'll be yeah, dead in a week. You smell that. No, I can't. It's fucking Well you can't what well, do you have a gluten allergy? Yeah. It's just just like birthday cake basically. Yeah, just smell that dude. It's basically yeah. I'm uh, unfortunately allergic Dude, so to the. Good. I'm, I'm a, unfortunately a sugar a, allergic to the to the gluten. Um, I dude, I I have uh, I can't imagine what it's be fucking like to wake up. I'm a bread fiend and pancake. Like I do love pancakes. So I'm pancake. Pancake. Well, you can get the gluten free fucking pancakes. I know. I do. Uh, I, I do. I know. I, uh, <laughs> I make gluten free pancakes at the house all the time. I, I have been on that has been my staple lately. So I've changed around some stuff in my cheat meal, like really just getting back to actually going more. I don't do great with fats. I think we talked about that before. Yeah. I do much better with low fats and high carb. And making, like, cooking is something that's happened to me, you know, like in my 40s too. Is like, it's so cathartic, right? Like, I can sit back and make a big ass, even if it's just pancakes like that, like just. To make a whole bunch of fucking food and just devour it, I have something very feels very rewarding about that for me, right? So like, uh, like making, I'll do. This was literally one meal, and that's that's one meal. Like, so it's like half the pancake. Which one's is gone? Well, no, oh, it's your mama. Yeah. Did they change this? No, they didn't. It's still there. Oh, it's still there. So I, I thought they had they changed. So here's the, the funny mama. thing. So no, that was one that's, meal. That's, that's what sure. it's getting. It's like half the box oh. is gone. That was one meal. Oh. So. Um, Here's why I ended up doing Angel Mile Pancakes. You can go look this up on YouTube. You can even probably find this. It was a, a celebrity pancake challenge, and they had a whole bunch of celebrity pancakes. And the one that everybody ended up picking was uh, The Rocks. And he makes his with this, the instant. And the, uh, one Are of the you sure it's not because The Rocks, just not The Rock? No, no, no. no. They, didn't, they didn't know which ones they were tasting. Huh? They picked his pancakes just made with the Angemina mix over shit like Gordon Ramsay and shit. Oh. So it's just, just the instant out. pancake mix. Dude, it makes perfect pancakes every fucking time. Yeah, we'll link this Gordon there it is. Ramsay That's it. versus Rock Pancake Challenge. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah. The show notes. I'm a fan of Gordon Ramsay. Oh, I love oh, that guy. I love him. Fucking and, and love that he's guy. Such a, I'm like, he's great. Dude, he's great. I, I remember he said, uh, he told this girl. He calls everybody a fucking donut. He, uh, <laughs> he said, this girl overcooked the steak and he's like, uh, he's like, that steak is so black. The only person that would date it is Kim Kardashian. <laughs> what a fucking line. I was like, this fucking guy is on fucking fuego. He's like, Kim Kardashian would date that steak. It's so black. Uh, oh, fuck, he killed it, dude. 
Wow, that's fucking amazing. Yeah, he's so anyway, pretty much everybody ends up picking like the rocks pancakes. So there's Oh, this a, is a whole series. Yeah, dude. There was, so there's like, a um, I don't know if this is Pamela's, this is the one. Pamela's gluten free pancakes is the one we get. And man, they are I I think some of the best. Now I haven't had Aunt Jemima's in a long, long time, so Dude, you just put some I don't even I can't do get a gluten bomb. Okay, okay, but that aside the, the other best thing about it is you don't even need to fucking measure it out. You just throw it in a bowl and eyeball the shit. And if you've made enough pancakes, you know the yeah. texture's right. I throw some fucking... Well, what's your flapjack technique? Do you got a spatula or you got the skill to yeah, flip I do the this, skillet? I do yeah, this, you got to do the spatula. I do the spatula. I'm okay, spatula. so here's the thing. There's actually a key with that, right? So you only want to flip one time. Yeah, of course. You don't ever flip fucking twice. So like anybody watching wants to make pancakes, get your hands Jemima. You measure out the first few times so you can understand what the consistency is supposed to look like, but you only flip one time. You flip one yeah. time. You don't flip multiple times. You burn your shit and fuck it up. You want nice, big, fluffy, tasty yeah, pancakes. You flip. You're going to want one flip. Uh, you saw me. My, my pancake technique, I went head-to-head with uh, Chef Lewis some pancakes. Mm-hmm. So when we had the symposium two years ago, we had a pancake breakfast, yeah. and we had this guy, Chef Lewis, who's uh, the head chef for Con- uh, Contigo in Austin. And we went head-to-head in the pancake making, and I made a lot of pancakes in my life. And uh, I like to think I took him. Crushed. I think I did a good job. You did, you did the gluten-free? Uh, yeah, uh, we, we did have gluten-free pancakes. Oh, I thought they were like sweet potato wagon wheels. Oh, I think they were sweet potato Yeah, pancakes. they were sweet potato wagon Well, there's another well, There's a recipe so I, I saw this past I, week. I have my own pancake recipe. They're called wagon wheels. They're on the site. And they're made with sweet potatoes. And uh, uh, actually... Um, they come out nice and fluffy. They're pretty amazing. So uh, uh, Julie Mayfield... <laughs> he sounds like, sound like Trump right now. It's amazing. They're the best pancakes ever. <laughs> like Denny Kruger. Nobody makes better pancakes than me. I'm the best pancake maker on the planet. So Julie Mayfield, who wrote the Paleo Comfort book, uh, years ago, I like sent her this recipe. I said, hey, I want to make these pancakes. And then she uh, and I like R&D'd them. And they came back. And to this day, like... I mean, that, I, I must have put that recipe out there like seven years ago. And to this day, I still get Instagram posts and people will send me pictures of making the wagon wheel pancakes. And they're called wagon wheels because when we were kids, my mom would make pancakes. And uh, she would make them so big that our my, uh, my brother Eddie's friend was like, Jesus, these things are like fucking wagon wheels. They're so big. So that's how it got stuck. May 2013. So seven years ago, and I still get... DMs and people send me pictures of making the wagon wheels. So there's one I actually don't laugh. It was sent to me by this chick. It's on Pinterest, but I have to say, and it's a lemon blueberry mm-hmm. pancake. You're speaking my language, bro. I haven't made it yet, but my mom made um, the best lemon cakes you can fucking. Mm-hmm. You so you're a big lemon cake guy too, right? Well, my mom used to make lemon bars, and yeah. then she oh, would make uh, bro she, lemon fucking anything dessert. Yeah. No, oh, yeah, my mom God. used to make lemon stuff too. Lemon bars. Yeah. She had this whole thing. Like, you, and you could, it was lemon, and then it was like um, there was some dough on it, like it was cooked, and then it was uh, uh, powdered sugar. Yes, and you would oh, eat like so. until like you basically. Yeah, I love. I'm, I'm actually salivating. Yeah, and you so, can't tell. I'm like. Yeah. Whenever I would go home, mom would have, she would always make a homemade lemon cake. And she would tell everybody else, you can't, it's for, it's for PJ. That's what they call me. She's like, nobody else can eat it but me. So when I saw this, this recipe, I was like, fucking lemon blueberry pancakes. I'm like, bro, that's. I'm in. Yeah. I like, I, you know what I'm going to send you the recipe? We'll do them together. Yeah. yeah. Because, uh, like, I was like, how, I don't know how you can fucking beat that. I, I sat down last week, was it, uh, fucking, it's one of the best things, like cooking my big chocolate chip pancake. I make them really big. And I eat them like I don't always put syrup on them. So sometimes on my cheat meals, you see, like I got the syrup out, but sometimes I just grab them and eat them like big ass cookies. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. You ever do that with the yeah. pancake? So I, 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 I have a deal where I'm, a, I'm, I'm kind of a, a I gotta, I gotta uh, get in this. I'm kind of a syrup snob. 
So, like, the syrup has to oh, be... Oh, well, you're half Canadian. Yeah, there. I know. It's, it's a big deal. So, like, my mom, when we were growing up, we always had to have, like, real Canadian 100% maple right syrup. Right the fucking tree, right? Yeah. And uh, so, like, I can't... Uh, like, I'm just a snob. Like, I won't have it unless it's, like, really good maple syrup. So, when I go to restaurants or you order pancakes, I usually just eat them dry and kind of tear them up and eat them. People are like, oh, you're not eating the pancakes, right? I'm like, well, they're not real pancakes unless they have... Uh, real maple syrup on them. So I just don't, I, I refuse to eat them with knives and forks like I would eat normal pancakes right. unless they have the syrup on them. Mm. And I actually I, have I, to I'm a, I'm my a, syrup I'm a syrup, I am a syrup, syrup snob too, but it's the other way. I hate full-on diabetic syrup. Oh, like you like the cheap, like the, the, the fake stuff? I like the like the no calorie fucking high, highly chemical. I can't won't even have it, bro. I can't stand fucking real syrup. I can't like literally. It makes me want to gag. Oh god, there's a real maple syrup, dude. Oh, fuck, it's no. anything to keep my hair up. It's like I know everything there is to know about maple syrup. I know, I know, and I get it. And here's the thing: if I put real syrup on my pancakes, dude, I will get, I will start gagging. It's it's one of the few things. It's like it's so heavy. Oh, it's so it's see. So look, I get I. It's so. Do you do you understand what I'm talking about? No, I'll take a reel all day. Yeah. No, I do fucking like... So when we were kids... So I talked a lot to a lot of other people. They feel the same way as I do. I'm like, people be like, you're ruining that with the fucking zero calories. But, and uh, like, but I, I'm pancakes maybe once a year. And we just had a, a breakfast. And then I got pancakes. And I said, this is my quota. So I'm a once a year. Yeah. And then so I have a, also have a theory about pancakes. Can't believe we're doing this whole section of the show with pancakes. So I, I have something that's called... The theory is called pancaking. So this is true. And if you think about it, you'll realize it is. So, this applies to almost anything that you can do in life. That you can have a pancaking moment. And here's the pancaking theory, and the, you can have pancaking moments. So, the pan, pancaking, the, the theory that I'm going to give you is when you sit down and get a big stack of pancakes in front of you, that first bite, so fucking amazing, right? And every bite afterwards is super fucking amazing. There comes a point while you're eating the pancakes, all of a sudden, suddenly, Quickly, you can't take another fucking bite. You're like, that's it. You're just done. You don't want another bite of the fucking. It's never happened to me. Oh, I get it. Does it make sense to you? Never happened to me. Does it make sense? Like you're eating pancakes. Hold on, John. Okay. You're eating pancakes. All of a sudden, there's just something hit you. You're like, I don't want another bite of pancakes for a year. Yes. Uh, Yes. That's not happened. I finished my pancakes, and the instant thing that goes on my mind is. I want more pancakes. No, I feel There's so There's never bad. been a point where I thought, you know what? I don't need another pancake. No, no, no. But you stopped eating them at some fucking point. Well, because I've eaten all the pancakes. <laughs> like, whatever pancake is put in front of me, it doesn't matter me if it's and one John or hundred. are going to have to sit there. I'm going to eat all pancakes the pancakes. And, and you know what? Well, we got like, all the batter right As long as there's another pancake, I'm like, I think we're going to eat another pancake. If he would have told me this, I would have fucking got gluten free pancakes. Oh, and we pancakes. I, I, like, I, I, it's this gluten, like, this uh, gluten allergy thing is. Uh, the fucking worst. I got like, it. I can't believe, like, and, and uh, like, all these people are like, oh, it's just a good gluten free. I'm like, why? If you're not, like, I, I can get it, but like, if you don't have an allergy to it, right. who fucking cares? Like, I've been telling, so I, I, I get all my food allergy testing done and my blood work done a couple times a year. And like, when I get the allergy testing, I like search instantly for like the gluten thing. And I'm like, am I reactive? And it's always like, if, if the scale is zero to six, I'm like a six one every time for the gluten stuff. And I like, and it's, it's pretty interesting. Like sometimes I'll, I'll have it and I'll be okay. Other times, dude, uh, like I get fucking gluten bombed to the point where I, I, I think like somebody slipped me PCP or something. Right. Well, and, and so anybody that's like, oh, I so back they decided to have like, you know, to go gluten free. I'm like, fuck, I would like sourdough bread. Oh, like, fuck. 
Like burgers with like like sourdough bread. So I know good. it's the best. Real pancakes. <laughs> Like I, I like I like Sour cereal. Bread, like different various like real cereal. Like to die like for. real cereal. Yeah. I, I like I. I it's, it's they have uh, all sorts of gluten free. I know, but it's, it doesn't taste the same. Do you do, so? Do you just eat? Do you uh, eat rice not cereal? Full gluten shit. No, I, I have like rice cereal, so I eat a lot of rice. And uh, you saw me eat quinoa today, and I have quinoa. To, I fucking hate it, dude. Like I would uh, like I saw you guys eating that like avocado toast and eggs, and I was just like, you fucking assholes. Delicious. I, it looked delicious. I didn't like that. I had fucking. I had ten egg whites and a, a big salad. <laughs> I know. I do. I. Uh, uh, but the 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 pancaking. Okay, so pancaking. So here's the thing. So pancaking. This has never happened in my life. Okay. Well, then you it's even make more fucking, fucking pancakes. Yeah. So, but you know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah. Everybody I've ever. Terrible. John's the first person I've ever explained this theory to. Theory to, and he doesn't get. It. Everybody else understands this pancake, this pancaking theory, and the people who listen to this podcast are going to be like, yeah, I know what he's talking about. So when you sit down and you're scarfing down pancakes, it goes from being so amazing, it's like the first bite, like so good, and then all of a sudden you're like, fuck, I don't want any, another bite of this shit. Like almost yeah. to the point of where you're like kind of disgusted, right? So I make yes. extra pancakes, Thank and you. then I eat my pancakes, and then I put the pancakes in the fridge, and then I come back 20 minutes later, and I roll them up, and I eat them like, like, like taquitos. He's not eating enough of them, right? He doesn't hit the moment. So... You have to keep eating and you'll hit the moment. So, wait a minute. Okay. I, I, get it, I get it. I get it. I get it. So, it goes from being like the best fucking thing you get in the first bite to all of a sudden you're like, I can't take another. So, I give you a real life example of fucking pancaking. So, my friend Angelica Nevia, she loves when I tell this fucking story. It's one of the best stories I've ever heard about dating. She was dating this fucking dude. He cheated on her. They, you know, they split. They got back together months later. And, you know, things were going great. Like, they were actually better than they were before. And they were together for like five years or something. And she said, I was, I told her about my pancake theory. She starts telling me the story. I was like, why are you telling me this story? So she tells me like they were sitting at lunch and um, she's like, we sat down for lunch and he ordered a salad. She goes, and he's eating this salad. She goes, and I literally had this moment, like flip of the switch, right? Right then. Pancake them? Yes. She goes, <laughs> she looked at him. She goes, I can't even stand to watch you fucking chew. And she has, she's like, that was what me explaining pancaking felt like to her. She's uh, like, she had that moment where it's just like, I never relate, fucking, I, done. I can relate to that story yeah. much better than, cause I've never met a pancake. I didn't want well, to. Well, when I told her the pancake story, that was, uh, so like, I've had that exact moment when you're with somebody or something happens and like one thing happens, you're like, I'm going to throw up in my mouth. I have to. Get <laughs> I, I, first of all, I want you fucking dead. If there was like, like, you know, like in that, um, do you remember there was that TV show in like the, the nineties where they could like jump into different dimensions? And oh, just, sliders. Sorry. Yeah, Jerry O'Connell. Yeah. yeah. I know okay. everything about it. It's like celebrate all three seasons. Okay, right. Like, uh, that's what I, I, I've been in situations where it's happened and I want to be like different dimensions just disappear. Like I'm like ninja blow dart. I, I've had that. And I still consider that a form of pancaking. That is pancaking. Wow. So now you have like even if you can't understand, I can't even understand. Can't, I totally get it. The glorious so, pancakes. Maybe it's because you guys are gluten snobs, and uh, I can't have the gluten. So like maybe I don't know what it's like because you know what? Maybe I've never had to, you know ever been in that situation. So like you know what? Like um, fuck you guys for for, for, for making me feel. <laughs> Bad about not being able yeah. to experience pancaking, uh, right? John, I experienced and, 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 and I think the reason that I have a gluten allergy is I, I told you about my mom's pancake diet. Right. Yeah. The, it was like every meal, when you're trying to gain weight, you eat that in pancakes. So cereal pancakes. I would uh, have lunch. I'd, I'd like open my lunch and it'd be like PB&Js and there'd be like three pancakes. Oh, I guess that's right? good. 
dinner, uh, I'd come home and my mom would be <laughs> like, PB&J. PB&J now. My mom would look, so I'd come home, she'd want a snack. I'm like, sure, she'd make pancakes. Dinner, like if we were going to have like burgers or whatever, burgers and pancakes. So I had pancakes three times a day. Four times a day sometimes yeah. for like four years. And I think what happened was I overloaded my system with uh, with pancakes. And, and now I have a fucking gluten allergy. allergy. Yeah. Wow. So literally, you literally can't experience pancake because your mom tried to get you to experience it. And, it and we never did. And, and the hilarious part is like it's kind of like a steak. Like uh, like my, my wife once asked, she, she's like, you look so happy when you're eating steaks. And she's like... You eat steak almost every I'm single about, day. I'm about to make John mad again. And, and yes. like every time I cut into the steak, that steak is the best steak I've had. Okay. And I'm about to make John mad again. I don't like steak that much. Oh, God. So not only, like, can he not experience pancaking, but I don't, I think steak is the most fucking overrated of all to me. It's like, so, it's so, it's not that it's not good. I never went, because if you're on the internet and you say, I think it's overrated, they'll say, you said it's not good. I didn't fucking say that. I've had some steaks in my life that were so fucking unbelievable. But at the same time, if you asked me to eat fucking steak every meal, I probably two days in, I would just go throw myself off a low bridge. I can't even wrap my head. <laughs> I was like, uh, it's my two favorite. You wanted me to do that. Dude. Steak, oh, steak and pancakes. I can't. I, I, I ate steak. Like, John can live on pancakes and steak. Right? Uh, for, for every meal. For every meal. Yeah, every meal. Okay, so I'm close to... And the other funny thing is he he, he doesn't like... To, uh, he's not a beer drinker. I fucking hate beer. Yeah. If I'm going to drink, it's going to be wine or vodka. It's vodka straight? Either that or a Cosmopolitan. Uh, okay. Like so. an Well, I don't know what a Cosmopolitan <laughs> is. Uh, that's what they drink on Sex in the City. I knew that, yeah, but I don't know what cos- it is. Uh, what's it's it's, it's, like it's a cranberry, cranberry juice, uh, vodka, uh, triple sec. Triple sec, that sounds and about right. It's like, pink. It's yeah, a pink it's drink. so fucking good. And you it know, comes in like I'm a martini a, glass? Yeah. Like, I'm not a Cosmo guy. Like, yeah, it can. Like, cool. Okay, I, when I was out... I do like, I do like me an old-fashioned. Uh, actually, the old-fashioned, originally, the uh, official drink of Power Athlete was the Moscow, or was the Mule. I feel like that we should live and then, in... And then we moved now to the old-fashioned. I feel like the, the, right. this whole thing, like, like we should literally do a fucking weekend in Texas where we do... The fucking we do pancake cookouts, or we do fucking red meat, or we make some fucking. You'll get murdered. I'm so uh, good at making pancakes. Uh, cosmic, okay, okay, like I'll come down. Well, and we got a pancake eating. So we got to pair that with different lifting approaches. So we have athleticism, sprinting. We'll we'll introduce some change of direction. Oh, uh, yeah, whole power athlete yoke squat. Yeah, yeah and then. And then, yeah, some leg press. We we have belt two different variations well, we of belt squat. Pick up a leg. You know, I'm secretly looking for a leg press on. Uh, oh, you need your self esteem boost. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> at, uh, after I watched our boy um, do uh, use the uh, sword X rack uh, with the leg press, the J squat. Yeah, yeah no, um, the leg press one. You know, oh, with the, uh, yeah. Who's your boy? Um, Henry. Yeah, Henry. Uh, and then I tried to do it, and I loaded every single plate we had in the in the gym on it. Like so, we have a uh, Sornex racks that have these arms, and so yeah, I put yeah. a plate on it. Loaded every plate I could, every band, got as much as I could, and I was like, like laying flat on the bench. It was fucking ridiculous. Side backs like this? No, no, I was kind of bastardizing our our squat rack for it. But since then, I was like, you know what? Like, and, and you were talking a bunch about the leg press stuff. I'm like, shit. Like if. Uh, uh, if that's just good for a quad meat developer, like I'm sure I could pick up a fucking decent leg press. Yeah, you can. You, I mean, get it like a Cybex one that's good. Um, they're they're plate eaters, so you can usually load them up uh, pretty well. But they like anything that deloads a little bit at the bottom. 
or your knees. It's just, it's just there. It's going to feel good, right? Like you can deny. I used to use a leg press when I trained at Metrics uh, when I was following one of John's programs, metals programs. And uh, he was like, I want you to set up all this fucking band tension. So I had all this fucking pen tension. I'd load this thing up and I like, as soon as I kicked it out, I had this vision of like, you know, uh, uh, fucking Marvin the Martian just getting like yeah. fucking smashed. And I'm like, holy shit, I'm like going to failure. And I just always thought, I'm like, God, like I had like four minivans wrapped around it. I'm like, fucking John Meadows is going to kill me on this thing. I'm going to get folded like a fucking taco. Yeah. But I'm like, we need to get a leg press. That'd be fun. No, it'd, right. it'd be fun for people to walk in and see a leg press. And it's a leg press. But even if you guys it. aren't trained, like doing the hypertrophy training thing, like the, the, to throw it in there to be able to hit some glutes and then some. Quads I think you have to always train for hypertrophy. I, I like. I think you have to do it, like especially as you age. Well, then you should get a fucking hack in the leg press. Uh, I, I we we use a uh, pitch arc reverse band or fucking hang. So we we have a pitch arc in a Westside uh, belt squat, and I think uh, I hate belt squats. I love them. Terrible for. I love them. You couldn't give me one. So bad. <laughs> this has been such a production. I like, I like that phrase. I love it. I love it. I like like he's, like, he's like, he's stakes and belts. Fucking I hate him. Like I didn't see that you did it. I, I didn't say it. He's, I hate he's, I he's, <laughs> he's going to do it now. He's going to fucking do it. He hates the squat. He hates the deadlift. He hates, he hates steak. <laughs> You heard it here. Paul Carter hates steak and the squat. In the I game. literally clarify. And the bench press. He yeah. hates the barbell. I, I, uh, he hates actually, the barbell. That's John's, cool. John's going to hack your Instagram and change it to steak, squat, steak, so and, pink. and pancakes. I love pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> steak, steaks, steak, squat, belts. No, steak, no. It's going to be deadlift, steak, and, and cakes. <laughs> Deadlift steak and cakes is yeah. actually a fucking good. Yeah, that that's a good ass handle. Yeah, let me see. Deadlift steak It's better cakes? than uh, dildos and deadlifts. Or, yeah. sorry, donuts and deadlifts. Sorry, mess up. That was back when everybody used to build those. Like deadlifts. You could, you could combine deadlifts with any type of. Oh, fuck. I, yeah. See, it was fucking annoying, wasn't it? Was, it? It, was. it was terribly fucking annoying. I didn't pull a deadlift off the ground for like 10 years. I only already yeah. And I still to this day, Love like, I'm, I'm still not like a. Uh, like, I'll. Uh, like for the majority of my pulling off the ground, it's always fucking hard. I think even for athletes though, John, like just like that, you know, you're not having, I think the RDL is still superior. Well, it is because uh, the fact that, you know, it's engaging that upper hamstring and like you and, need that so yeah. much more and there's really no other position and hits it. And also the action. Imagine us making a hard plant for a yeah. change of direction or yeah. landing, similar action of loading and then reversing. Yeah. We're uh, slowing it down. Where I like the trap bar. And, and, I, and I, I, I totally agree with you. I like the trap bar deadlift and I like the RDL a yeah. lot more. Even though I can straight bar, very like I'm, I'm good on the straight bar, uh, I just don't feel the carryover. Yeah, I, you can load. Because here's the thing about it. At the end of the day, a conventional deadlift is still a hamstring and glute movement, okay? Yeah. So, but what you're doing with an RDL is that you're effectively loading those tish, that tissue better than you are with a regular deadlift, right? So, like, you're lengthening the glutes a little better, you're lengthening the hamstrings a little better, and then you're dispersing that tension across the majority of just those. It could direct your spine. It's going to get some load, too, right? But it does a better job of loading that tissue better than the conventional deadlift, right? Because you're, uh, the other component that you're moving is that knee extension, knee flexion that happens. Because there's a little bit that happens. With the trap bar, there's a little bit that happens, too. However, to me, the trap bar is basically like trap bar deadlift. If you're using it to load, like, the glutes, 
it's basically almost like the exact same motion that you're doing with an RDL. You just have a little bit more knee flexion, right? It's mm-hmm. you have a little more knee flexion, but the it's, whole point is you're hinging fucking hard. It's, it's more similar to a squat when I watch most people trap bar deadlift. You can trap bar an RDL. Or, sorry, yeah, you can RDL a trap bar. But when I watch most people pull an RDL, it's uh, the position where it's over the center of gravity is more similar to a back squat. Yeah, like I just have everybody push that, push that ass out like a toe season. Yeah. That's what I tell them. Push that ass back like a toe season. So, I mean, that's like that's effectively loading us, right? So, I mean, I think like... Push it back like um, like you're walking through a tight, like somebody's walking behind you in a tight bar. You're like... Yeah, exactly. And like, I think that's what I was saying. Like, I think even for like for football players or, or athletes or whatever, I just think the trap bar, it fits your structure better. You yeah. get your arms down by your side. You're not in that internally rotating yeah. position like you are with the bar. And especially people flipping grips and fucking... Yeah, like it's shit. just much better for your structure. And then, like, with the R, like, but you can do the RDLs. Like, the trap bar is so fucking good. I used to, it's so weird that I hated the trap bar until I had the transition on powerlifting. Fucking hated the trap bar. And now I'm like, dude, it's fucking glorious because you can do your RDLs on the trap bar, then yeah. you can just switch over. You can literally do, you could do like a glute bridge for glutes. You could do um, a glute bridge, train in the short position, and then move over and just do, you could do a, a trap bar. Like a uh, uh, trap bar deadlift and load the boots and then do a down set with the art, like an RDL on it. That's amazing. Like two, basically you're in two stations and you do have to use a barbell on one of them. So, well, yeah, it's because it's like steak and you hate it. Yeah. It's good. Clearly don't hate Fuck, steak. Fuck, dude. We're but three pan- Pancake and steak's pretty, uh, is a pretty good combination. Yeah, man. Uh, I, think we had a- well, I think we have a title for the episode. I think it's great. Um, well, I think it had to be... Pancakes is in there. Pancakes. <laughs> what do we say? Pancakes, Pan- steaks, steaks. No, uh, dead, uh, deadlifts. Deadlifts. Deadlifts, steak, and uh, cakes. Deadlifts, deadlifts yeah. steak, and cakes. <laughs> Here, I love it. That's... Dude, I don't All right, know how guys. somebody's to fucking handle you. We're going to end on that one. Hey, thanks again for checking into another episode of Power Athlete Radio. I appreciate our good friend Paul Carter stop, or us stopping by and uh, regaling him and uh, tying him up for three hours. And uh, my co-host, Mr. Chris McWilkin, a.k.a. Tex. And uh, we'll see you again. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You can follow Paul Carter on Instagram. Just go to at lift run bang until next time. Bye.